it's become clear that people in this country and globally have been steamrolled. It is also clear that it has been coordinated globally. It is also clear that it has been integrated, not just over six months, not just over two and a half years, but it has been planned over decades. The changes to legislation in this country were done so that they could control doctors and people. But the people are waking, and it's thanks to people like Dr Altman and all the presenters here today, thanks to people like Senator Babette and Craig Kelly. We know and we knew that this is all bullshit and that we've been had. But we are going to hound you down, the people that are guilty. We are going to hound you down and hold you accountable and we will expose your global agenda so that the people of Australia can be free in the future. Because I love my kids and I'm looking forward to my grandkids. And we are going to save this country. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Friday, October 12th. I keep doing that. Friday, October That's We're back. We had a huge drop out there in the stream right in the beginning. Let me know if you can hear me in the chat. <clears throat> There we go. Uh, great show plan for you today. I really, really happy about the, how this came together. I had a lot of information <clears throat> that I put off from yesterday's show that I wanted to make sure to talk about. And I added a bunch that I saw today. Really important show. One of these titles where it's kind of a mixed bag for me lately, where I don't like when I have a title that's not specific to one important thing because it kind of then a lot of the important stuff gets buried in a long show. But at the same time, I love when I have a show like today where I can put one title on it and it encompasses the entire body of information. I just love that. And I think it's important to see how all this connects. And, I, you know, as I always try to do with most of these shows, it doesn't always work out that way. But today is important. I mean, I honestly believe we could have said this and I, we have said this a few times over the last so many months for a long time now that, that this is over. You won. They lost. That doesn't mean they're going to stop pushing that, though, right? That doesn't mean they're going to st Don't worry. Someone's like, he's coughing. I'm, I'm wildly healthy these days. But what's interestingly important here is that, that I, think what's, I think what we're, we can see is that they will never stop trying to continue to benefit themselves at your expense, ever. Really, only the, th the only time you see these things change historically is when people rise up and forcefully remove them. Now, I argue that's not the direction we should be taking today. Violence begets violence. But what's interesting is that we're at that cross at, at the the, uh, the crossroads right now, right where they have lost control of this narrative. The information is everywhere. Just today's show alone should be enough to wake up anybody who's honest enough to engage with the information. Every single data point will go through and show you how they're lying, setting their narrative, and then show you the body of information that proves they're not being honest about it. Every single part of this. So, what's the next step? How do we go from collectively being aware we're being lied to? And they'll even make these arguments in their own narratives about how we've lost trust because of this or that. Everybody's not trusting. Nobody is trusting them at this point. Not even people that were previously taking the other injections. 5% have taken the new, the new bivalent. 
So what do we do next? How do we transition that awareness into stopping them from taking the next step? I don't have all the answers. I just hopefully pose questions that can initiate people, better minds out there to come up with some solutions to these problems. And I, of course, have my solutions and opinions as well. But it's important that we collectively think about these questions. Now, the person you saw in the beginning there was a, a, a member of parliament in, in Australia who you've seen outspokenly speaking about the information around this. But as always, I want to balance it out and make sure we ask the question, just like I would if, let's say, this was you know, anybody on the left or right in our paradigm in, in the United States political situation that I don't trust that they have only the right intentions with what's happening. That's more so about political benefit and so on. But just because it's, it's in a different part of the world. So it tends to feel like it makes, you know, it's more relevant, but like, for instance, if I saw this coming from somebody, let's just pick somebody like Rand Paul or, or anybody, or like on media, Tucker Carlson, kind of a thing, even though I'll point out more than more than usual today, that they are continually in covering important topics and putting important things out there. I just always want us to question whether that's a means to an end as opposed to doing it because it's the right thing to do. Just keep that in mind when you're looking at other countries as well, is my point, Australia and so on, because I don't necessarily associate everyone in these other countries' political systems as this right or, you know, right or left. Or, you know, you, you, it's, it's different when you look at another country. Anyway, be skeptical of all of them. Nonetheless, what he said there was very important, that he's going after them. Which, of course, will be framed as like as threatening people, as they always would love to frame it, as they openly threaten people for their own agendas, whether, you know, race or, or gender or whatever else. But what's interesting here is that he is saying, we're coming after you. We are going to take you to task. We're going to seek you out and we're going to hold you accountable. OK, make sure it wasn't freezing. But today we're going to go through all of this. We're going to start with foreign policy. We're going to start with the uh, overlap with a couple of different points, Iran, UK, you know, uh, Ukraine. Um, and I think the other one was uh, Israel, of course, as always. But it's not going to be as long as it was yesterday. It's just a quick little part that opens up. But I can't ignore some of these points that are coming out constantly from the foreign policy conversation. But the main crux of the show today is going to be about the danger, the inherent risk, and the many different points at which we can see this, how they're lying about that, how they're covering it up, and how this leads you lockstep into the Great Reset technocratic panopticon agenda that we're watching build out right now. That's what's happening. And it's not hard to see. And in many cases, they're even telling you that as long as they can have some kind of like for the greater good argument just underneath the surface. But when you put it all together, it's Putin's fault. Of course, <laughs> there's no reason we're not starving you. We're not moving your energy. It's all Putin. But then otherwise, we'll point at all those things and say, that's what we need to help the planet. And we want to accomplish those things for Agenda 2030. So you are doing those things? No, Putin's doing it. Okay, got it. It's just, it's very childish, and I think everybody's seeing through it. But let's start off with foreign policy. I think this is the important part right now in the, the Ukraine situation is very important because of how I, I feel that is the most unstable situation that's happening right now. Not because of the outside entities, but because of the people they've empowered in Ukraine. And it concerns me. I mean, I'm never the one to hype or, or fear monger around the, the, the threats of nuclear war and so on, but that one situation does concern me because of the wild card that they are and what that would then lead to, which they would no doubt take advantage of to drive in whatever they would want, whether it's a nuclear threat or anything else, it'll drive in the same agendas and the same solutions for the many different problems they want to present, which is very telling. But to start off with the foreign policy conversation, I want to play a clip from 
Mick Walls, one of the other individuals from the Irish government who continues to speak out alongside Claire Daly about the reality on the ground. Not his opinion, but the facts, the reality in any of these situations. And I say that because it's provable. Every single thing they say you can easily prove, even using corporate information. But they just don't talk about that today. You can't you can't pretend that it makes sense to highlight this situation, but ignore all the other ones that are tied back to the people that they pretend are on the good guy side. And we'll give you some of those examples in a minute. As Mick Wallace writes, thousands of Haitians have protested against the U.S. installed regime, which it is. And realize this is this is right now as the U.N. and the United States government, Biden's administration in particular, which put forward the resolution, wants to create an international body to force their way into Haiti to help them. <laughs> Typical, right? Just like they liberated Libya and Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria, right? All thriving utopias today, right? Haiti needs an end to foreign interference, he writes, not more foreign boots on the ground. We said we cared about sovereignty when Russia invaded Ukraine. Does sovereignty only matter when it suits U.S. imperialism? No, but the way they use it, it does, right? It's a means to an end. That's the point. Now, remember, in this conversation about the invasion, I, there's a point to be made about the, the differentiation between the terms being used, but whether or not you agree with what Russia's doing, whether or not you agree that they were forced to take action, that they were the Donbass was being bombed and they were trying to defend them and the U.S. government was making them, blah, all of it, which is all valid. It's still an invasion. They're still choosing to invade that country for good reasons, bad reasons. You see my point? So I, I don't quibble on the word invaded. It's still a war. They're still invaded. You could, But you could argue it's for, you know, it's the same reason the U.S. government screams we're, we're occupying for freedom you know it's it's the narrative why is what makes the difference not just the kind of you what's the right word there not ubiquitous anyway a word that means in the action of going into that country in an in a military sense whether or not this justified <clears throat> but here's what he says and i think this is important to understand you know what i think everybody knows i shouldn't say everybody the vast majority of people fully understand but you just have these talking heads getting up and, and acting like you're the crazy one for thinking something that I think most people are well aware of today. The thousands of people from Haiti have been protesting against the U.S.-installed regime of Ariel Henry. Now the puppet leader is calling for foreign military intervention to crush the protest. And the U.S. have been looking for backing at, at the U.N. Security Council for same. To pr the protest, right? These protests are the bad protests, but the protests over here that we like, we, we, those ones are okay, right? It's just a choice to pretend that some are okay and some aren't, or rather that some protests are just violent riots while others are allowable political action. You know, whatever. It's, it's ridiculous. The last thing the people of Haiti need now is another foreign military intervention called in by a despised leader that doesn't even have a proper mandate to govern. The people of Haiti had their own solution to the crisis. It's called the Montana Agreement. A commission was set up in August last year by a wide range of civil society groups, and they signed an agreement. And it was to be implemented, begun in February. But the U.S. and the U.N. and others blocked it. The Haitian people, they need a name to foreign interference. They've been interfered with for 200 years. They're not allowed to think independent. The West has destroyed the place. They've done everything to cripple the place for years. And now, 
They certainly need an end to foreign interference, not more foreign boots on the ground. We said we were interested in sovereignty when Ukraine was invaded by Russia. Are we not interested in sovereignty when it comes to Haiti? Does that not count because it doesn't suit U.S. imperialism? Excuse me, I, I am muted. The, the frustrating part about this, guys, is that it doesn't matter whether you feel that this is incorrect. You agree with the points because there's plenty of points made there. The bottom line is, what is the? how can you differentiate between the situations? What do the Haitian people want, right? Because you have to understand that the, the leader that's been put in power, the puppet, can say all he wants. And that, I guess that would matter, despite you, know, you have to acknowledge the fact that he was put in power. But what do the Haitian people actually want? Right? Doesn't that matter? Isn't that the main point? Are we asking what Zelensky wants? Or are we asking what the Ukrainian people want? At least from a corporate conversation, right? Well, so why is it the reverse? Why, when we talk about a, an area that the U.S. government's occupying, that we only care about what the leader asks for and the people doesn't matter, Right? Or they highlight a very small grouping of the people and make that out to be the majority argument. That's exactly what's happening here, right? We're being told you're a fringe conspiracy theorist. But guess what? So too are 90% of the people around you. So are you fringe? Are you a conspiracy theorist? Or that conspiracy theorist is accurate. We should all be theorizing about the conspiracies. They're the, cons the conspiring to control your life. But the bottom line here is that you have to realize that these people matter too that their lives matter, right? That their freedom and sovereignty all matter. This is the end of that, right? All, you, all one needs to do is look around at places like Yemen and Palestine to understand that they don't care about the people on the ground. They care about using their plight as a means to an end. It's just sad that we can't see past this at this point, but I think, I think most people are beginning to. But the foreign policy part of it is, is, I argue, more from the medical freedom part. People are beginning to wake up dramatically, but just beginning to open the conversation to places like Haiti. I mean, Israel and Palestine has gotten a lot of great attention, and I thank God. But places like this still are unacknowledged to a large degree. Now, talking about Iran, here's a good example of the same point. Hasi Mafi points out, what would you think if you see this picture? Right? You see this picture. This is what somebody shared. UNICEF. Girls deserve to dream. Girls deserve to run free with no limitations. We deserve the world to show us kindness. Right? And it says, Iran, you know, it's police dragging this girl. Right. This, this, was, this was, somebody put this out. And we've seen the same things happen on all the Ukraine bots and everything else as well. Well, it says, you would think, oh my God, an Iranian police officer is brutally arresting a little girl. How evil, right? First of all, I thought this was going in the direction of the obvious overlap of the endless amount of pictures of Israeli IDF of violently attacking young children, all of all genders and all life, whatever else, everywhere. It's, and it's crazy that that doesn't get, it's all because they're all terrorists, apparently, if you talk to anybody in the corporate media. But guess what? 
On September 22nd, September 18, September 2018, terrorists recruited, trained, armed, and paid by Western governments opened fire on an Iranian military parade on the city of Avaz, killing at least 25 people, including civilians. This Iranian police officer actually saved this young girl from that terrorist attack. And that's what you're seeing there. Him rushing her away from the act. Now, you could, my, the point is not that that means that every single picture you see, therefore, is not what it looks like or that there's no negative actions taken by Iran's government. There's all, of course, it happens everywhere. Every government, I believe. But the point is to show you how people willfully misrepresent these things and why would they need to do this if it was what they were talking about. You notice that on one side of this, you have to make things up a lot of the time to make it the argument, whether we're talking about the positive Ukraine story or whatever else. But on the other side of it, like taking Ukraine, for example, you can show an endless amount of video of their own statements, their own information, their own pictures, their own everything that shows you exactly what they are. And all they do is sidestep it and go, well, it's not what it looks like. Okay, well, on one side, you have a huge body of evidence they dismiss. On the other side, you have them making things up and a narrative by and large. See the point? So why this is somebody making this up to argue that that's what's happening. This is how they manipulate you into hating Iran, he says. This is how they use lies and propaganda to demonize Iran and Iranian police. And likewise, I can argue that Iran's government would do the same about U.S. government and Russia and China and so on. But you fairly should make an argument about how they're actively being attacked and persecuted and regime change. And so they might have a reason to. But either way, you can point out the same thing and both of them will be dishonest. Almost everything you hear from celebrities, Western media and Western governments about Iran is a lie. And, and the truth is, if you really dig into this and ask the people that understand the situation, like the hijab discussion, you find that out. Because believe it or not, they think of us as their enemy and they use any lies to justify their evil psychological, economical, economical and cultural war against us. Now, he's talking about the people, by the way. That's what I agree with. They always act like we're fighting for the people, but then they actively starve those people, actively sanction those people, actively deprive them of medical treatment. Right. But we're saving those people by suppressing everything they need. Right. Sad, but just like with Ukraine over and over and over. I mean, they literally just shared a video of Lebanon being bombed and said that was Ukraine. Everybody saw that. Funny enough, the corporate media just missed it, apparently, you know, in their extensive due diligence. Well, in the concepts, context, con, excuse me, what was I trying to say there? The concept, the conversation of the United States world, the you know, global preeminence, which is all that really matters to them. Understand that China has five military bases around the world that, you know, that arguably, now, just to be clear, this is just, I, 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 the, I actually don't think that's correct. I think it's more than that. But the point is the same. And you could argue the same thing for U.S. military bases. There's probably far more than we're actually told about. Same thing with Russia. But just realize that in the, the meaning of the tweet that China has five military bases around the world, Russia has 36 military bases around the world, while the U.S., all these are admittedly, have 850 plus military bases. And I don't even, I don't even believe that includes the lily, lily pad types around the world. As he writes, explain to me how China and Russia are a threat to the United States. Now, really, the question should be explained to me how one of them is the how you can argue that Russia or China are have designs to take over the world and take over the West. And maybe they do. But shouldn't you first acknowledge how it seems pretty obviously clear that the U.S. government is doing that first, even if you argue it's to be the, the good guy doing it first to stop the bad guys? <laughs> However you childishly want to frame this, they're still the ones doing what they're pointing at everybody else doing. It's just wild. I mean, just take a look at the list or the locations of these of these bases. As the jokes made, it looks like the world has chicken pox and it's the U.S. government everywhere, everywhere, right along the border of every single country they claim is encroaching on them. 
And the only reason you could make, say that would make that make sense is that they are only doing this for good reasons to protect everybody. Except the reality is history and literally everything anywhere you look shows you that's not true. But let's just pretend because we want to make ourselves feel nice and fuzzy about what our government's doing in our name. Now, in, in regard to Ukraine, Wyatt Reed points out, and this is important because they are shifting this narrative right in front of you. And this is how this has gone very fast, beginning to say the thing that they called conspiracy theory like a week ago. He says, here it is. The closest thing you'll get to a confession from the U.S. military. The proxy war in Ukraine is not about human rights or democracy, but about preserving global U.S. dominance. Now, of course, the argument from the sycophants, including the people in the, that are making these statements, would be that, well, we need that in order to make freedom, <laughs> in order to defend freedom and spread democracy, right? We have to be in control so we can do that. Okay, well, why haven't you done it then? Why have you destroyed these countries? Well, we're sure trying to spread democracy. Well, you've had plenty of time to try. I'm being facetious. The reality is that's not what's happening. I mean, you just need a history book, even their fake rewritten history book, to understand that they have not even come close to achieving that, even if they were actually trying. So the argument that this is about global dominance is the reality. And they're not doing good by that. And here he is admitting that that's exactly the case. Now, what about all the arguments we just heard about the Ukrainians and freedom and, and democracy and sovereignty? Well, I guess that goes right out the window when Milley decides to be honest. In Ukraine's interest, it is in the global interest to protect, as the secretary pointed out, the rules-based international order. And that is our purpose that has been given to us, the uniformed military from our civilian leadership, which is to uphold the rules-based international order that was established some 80 years ago at the conclusion of World War II. The, the order they regularly ignore and don't, you know, and, and, and overstep and, 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 you know, force on everybody else while ignoring in every possible way. That's what happens everywhere, like U.N. resolutions and anything else they pretend everybody else has to abide by. You can point out just you could I, I'm not no joke. You could look over the last two weeks and probably find multiple examples of how they've disregarded things they make other people adhere to. You just can't miss this stuff. And our end state is equally clear. It is to ensure uh, that Ukraine remains a free. Right, because that's what it is now, right? A free and sovereign country that was occupied and overturned by another outside force and is currently occupied. I mean, you know, it's just it's just narrative. That's all it is. It's just narrative. Now, meanwhile, as they're screaming about Russia threatening nuclear weapons, <laughs> the U.S. government is actively taking actions around the world that threaten nuclear war, like taking exercises where they pretend to bomb in Europe or literally standing up and going, guess what? We have a nuclear sub right now between Moscow and Beijing. But no big deal, though. Just normal stuff. Imagine if Moscow stood up and said anything, even, 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 what's the right word? Indicating, <laughs> not actually pointing at, but sort of like gesturing at something that might imply nuclear weapons being used. And, oh my God, the whole world will burn down because they're going to bomb everybody. That's how this goes. It's childish and completely over the top. Hyperbolic. But the U.S. reveals they have a nuclear sub right between Moscow and Beijing. Now, that's not new. But the idea that they're saying that, which is the difference, as it says, the U.S. military took an unusual decision of revealing that. So that is a threat. That's how that's meant to be taken. We've got nuclear bombs aimed at you right now, which we all know. But stating it publicly, even if Russia doesn't perceive that as a threat, it's meant to be perceived as that to the public, which then means Russia feels obligated to respond to it to not lose face. That's kind of the way that works and the, the argument anyway. So this is what the U.S. is doing. Driving action. Poking the bear. 
right? Doing this to hope that they, this is, this is like insulting them or poking them in the eye and saying, and then when they do something back, unprecedented, unresponsive, no, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, unprovoked, as always. Now here, as <laughs> always, Ned Price making a fool of himself in really, in just trying, that's what their job really is, to, to insultingly pretend that there's not the obvious overlap that there really is. And Matt Lee is always doing a great job calling this stuff out. Here's Liam McCollum pointing out another incredible moment from Matt Lee. That's, that's Matt Lee from the Associated Press asking Ned Price what the State Department sees as the difference between the Russian occupation of Ukraine and the Israeli occupation of Palestine. Now, first of all, Russia is not occupying Ukraine. Certain territories are currently being, I would argue, occupied in the sense that they've been, they've, they're currently present. Their argument is they're not going to continue to do so, which means in the moment, the reason I said in the first place was occupy, I argue that means occupying the country. That's not what's happening right now. Ukraine's still in control of the majority of the country. So that it's just, it, it, the overlap is not even appropriate in the, in, in the sense that Israel is occupying all of Palestine. That's, that's a big difference there. But on top of that, Russia has allowed these people to vote and make their own decisions and had international referendums, which people watched and admitted were fair. And that's what happened. I mean, it just you just can't pretend that all of that means nothing when the U.S. says otherwise. Right. That's stupid. But it says their back and forth was lengthy and other journalists doubled down on it afterward. Now, listen to this. It's really this is pathetic. That these people think it makes sense to make this argument when you could prove otherwise of, of dignity. And that's something we're working towards. Right, but the yeah. Palestinians and their supporters would argue that what you accuse Russia of doing in Ukraine in terms of war of aggression is very similar to what is going on in the occupied West Bank. And, and, and so I guess the, 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 I, I'm, I'm trying to find what you, what you find is different because obviously Russia contests those allegations that you make against it whether they're right or not. Israel contests the allegations that are being made against it in this report and by, and by others, including human rights groups that you cite repeatedly um, when it comes to Ukraine, when it comes to Iran, when it comes to other places. Uh, is the difference that Ukraine is a sovereign state, in your view, and that Palestine is not? That is a key difference. Uh, you point to some of what critics are saying, look, no country is or should be immune from criticism. <clears throat> now, what's interesting here, this is a game they've played for so long. And this is one of the most obvious parts of this that show you the dishonesty, right? So, okay, so it's not a sovereign state, they say. Okay, fine. So that means it's under the control of Israel, right? So Israel's then obligated to take certain actions in regard to those people. That's a fact if they're arguing it's not a sovereign country, right? But then every chance they get, they argue, no, that's, that's not our responsibility. They're their own thing. That's what they say. Okay, fine. So you play it both ways. When you want to ignore them, you pretend they say they're independent. But then when you don't want that to be the case, you argue they're not a sovereign state. So that way, that way you take what we want from it. We can steal their resources. We can take things that are being sent in for them and use it for our own benefit, right? That, it's just insulting. And anybody can see that if they look briefly past the narrative. See, this, this is how this is always played. Now, regardless of that, whether it's a, they claim it's a sovereign state or not, it is occupied. And the U.N. has always maintained that. So, yes, it is. But the problem is that these people, regardless of whether it's a sovereign state or not, are being occupied and are being attacked and are being ethnically cleansed. 
it's exactly the same thing we're talking about here in regard to what the Ukraine, the Ukrainian government is doing to the people in Donbass. Right. But the interesting overlap is what they're claiming Russia's doing in Ukraine. Right. Which it, it's not even remotely what they, is actually happening. But nonetheless, their argument is that's what they're doing. So they're pointing out something that's not happening, but inadvertently using the overlap that is exactly what Israel's doing in Palestine. So they just caught themselves in all this. And Ned Price is left to spit out and pretend like he's not looking like an absolute moron by trying to claim they're not the same thing. That, of course, includes Israel. Uh, some of the criticism uh, that we've heard, and we've, of course, offered our own uh, over the course of recent months, is justified. Much of it is not. And- <laughs> I love the way he said that right there. Like, you're not even allowed to say that some of the criticism is justified. He's even probably going to get pushback from that from some people in the Israeli government. But, but just even the way he said it, it was like he tried to skip past it and say it in a weird cadence so it didn't sound like what he said. That's just my take on it. Just listen to what he said that of the criticism uh, that is or should be immune from criticism. That, of course, includes Israel. They're saying that they shouldn't be immune from criticism, which is exactly what happens today, especially from these governments. Uh, some of the criticism uh, that we've heard, and we've, of course, offered our own. Some of the criticism uh, over the course of recent months is justified. Much of it is not. <laughs> right. You're like some of the criticism and so on, so on, so on, so on, so on. It's justified, but it's not. Right. It's like very quickly. <laughs> so is it justified? It's not. It's not, though. Most of it's not, though. Like, make sure that's the point that really comes across. But most of it's lies. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, that's not even the reality in, in regard to the conversation today. You can't have almost every leading human rights organization on the planet calling them an apartheid state and then pretend like, no, it's just mostly unjustified arguments. It's, it's just it, and my point is that guy fizzle out so quickly because they are in the hardest position on the planet arguing against obvious facts and then and in a smug way making acting like you're stupid for asking this thing asking these questions you know someone like kjp is struggling more than most and we'll show you one of those later in the oil part of the conversation where he's just embarrassingly bad at the job but this guy is not bad at the job it's just an impossible position to argue the most obvious thing in the world is not what it looks like and so when you point to compare to Israel, uh, some of the criticism uh, that we've heard, and we've, of course, offered our own uh, over the course of recent months, is justified. Much of it is not. And so when you point to comparisons and criticisms, uh, I think it is important to take a step back and to recognize the profound differences between those two situations. You mentioned... Okay, so all you did was sidestep the point. Is it or is it not something that's, you know, like just because some of the criticism may not be justified, that's not what we're doing. We're not talking about the body of criticism. He's specifically asking you about one thing. And all you did was say, well, some of them are justified. Therefore, the overlaps and the situations are different. You see, it's, it, there is an art to sidestepping a question without answering it. And he's not that bad at it, to be quite honest. But it's nonetheless, because it's so obvious, the question wasn't even remotely answered. And Matt Lee is never one to take that. He always pushes back. One of them, and it is a, a paramount okay. difference. Well, listen, it's not me who's made the chairwoman of there the are, Commission of Inquiry. There are there are many assertions. There are many assertions around the she, world that are she made. Is that, the one, she is the one who pointed out that just last week, 143 countries, including the United States and Israel, voted to condemn Russia for its actions. Not me. So sorry if you. Uh, I, I, I know. I know. I'm repeating the point that she has made. You're, not, you're, you're asking the question, and I'm, I'm making the points. Let me, let me just follow. So, with the issue of the linkage, 
He said there's absolutely no linkage, no comparison whatsoever. You dispute that the Palestinians are militarily occupied, that Israel has annexed Palestinian land. Do you dispute that? Do you dispute that they have forcibly removed population? Do you dispute that? I wish you would have stopped the question right there. Gun. Uh, let me know if you can hear me in the chat. I'll wait to hear from you guys and I'll continue. Let me know if you can hear me in the chat. My God. Directly plugged into in, directly into the wall. Business level internet. Nonetheless, still happens. Let me know if you can hear me. Oh, we just got successfully reconnected. Okay, it looks like we're back. Let me know in the chat, by the way, if you could hear me saying that the whole time or if it cut out right there. Yeah, see, somebody else is saying that it's only go quiet on my end. Right. I don't even know how that's possible. I say that every time, but I literally don't know how it's possible how that happens. But based on the way I have it set up. But regardless, let's continue. Now, my point was that what he's saying right there we should have stopped the question right there because it gives them wiggle room into to, to, to sidestep the question, right? The reality is that are you disputing that they're military occupied? Well, no, they are, right? And the UN maintains that. Okay, are you disputing that they've displaced people? Well, I mean, whether he answers or not, no, the answer, it's obviously happening. The point is all you need is those, do, those points, regardless of the differences between the situations. They're military occupied. It is a legal occupation. They're displacing people. And so all of that is exactly what they're framing Russia doing. And yet they pretend like it's not the same thing. Palestinian land, do you dispute that? Do you dispute that they have forcibly removed population? Do you dispute that? Do you have any other different kind of uh, information that could convince the world that you were speaking to that this, these facts that you cited are in fact are not, you know, that's not what the Palestinians are experiencing. Say so we've, we've spoken to the reality, to the plight that Palestinians face. I'm I'm not talking about the the flight and the reality and so on. Right, just be like, shut up, Ned. Don't give me your grand over the view. Like, you know, that that wasn't even remotely going to answer the question, right? We've spoken to the plight of the Palestinian people. Good. That's not what I asked you. And you didn't, by the way. You know, it's just, it it kills me to watch these things these days. You dispute that they are militarily occupied. We don't dispute that. And we've been clear about that. It is a a historical fact that the West Bank... That the West Bank has been occupied since 1967. Well, even that's not entirely. The, the point here is that if you're admitting that this was occupied and is currently occupied, well, then we're talking about the same thing here. Why is that different then? Are you then saying that this is a, a justifiable illegal military occupation? Right. I mean, there's no way around that. So I, he's probably going to get some pushback on that because they don't want you to state that that is the case in West Bank or all of occupied Palestine. The frustrating part about this is that this is a childish differentiation because you have a political agenda on one side and you have, well, they have political agendas on both sides. They're just interested in one succeeding and one not. That's all this comes down to. They don't care at all about the Palestinian people. They don't care at all about the Ukrainian people at all. That's patently clear by everything that's happening. And don't forget, by the way, this is also him down here with Matt Lee pushing back when he remember in the beginning of all this, when they said that the, uh, the Russian government was planting false flags with crisis actors. Where, how did that end up, right? Didn't they swear up and down that that was going to happen? And then all that happened was the Ukrainian military got caught repeatedly doing exactly that. In fact, in many cases, using real people 
and dragging their bodies into place and claiming it was the Russian government and that getting proven not to be true. And the military or the, the mainstream government, the corporate media just went right past it and never looked back. Right. It's incredible that we can be at this position and see that they keep making arguments that don't come to pass, making it's it's insulting to your intelligence, guys, across like everything else is. And what this reminds me of of Ned Price trying to play this game. At least he didn't just pause and not speak and loot and, and look like an absolute like I, this is what this reminds me of, by the way. This is a clip. I'm actually forgetting on the, the what the guy's name is. Hold on. Oh, wait. Maybe I didn't. No, oh, that's right. I did. I downloaded this. Hold on one second. It's a clip of a previous person at the State Department looking very, very ridiculous trying to explain the difference between Iran and why they care about that one. See, I know I downloaded Here, give me one second. Why they care about what's going on, they claim is happening in Iran, as opposed to what Saudi Arabia is doing on a regular basis. I'm so sure that I downloaded this. I'm not sure why that didn't happen. Oh, well, that's frustrating. And then this is problematic. Okay, it's probably not going to happen, so maybe I'll have to watch it on here. God, man. Every day. Welcome to technocracy. Not, not that you can see what's happening, not because I don't have the video, but because this thing just isn't loading. It's apparently just not happening. Let me try this. Let's do... Here we go. Let's try that one. This is the guy we're talking about, and you've seen this before. This <laughs> is really embarrassing. Essentially, he just is, is made to look like an absolute fool when asked about this. It's very embarrassing. There we go. I'm 100% certain I downloaded that. I know it's in there, just so you guys know. I'm, I'm being facetious. It's my fault. I don't know where I misplaced it. Here's the video. Now, what he does is he pauses, I mean, for an unbearable amount of time when asked about this. And I argue this is probably why they have such gigantic books and, and, and binders these days with exact statements they're supposed to be reciting, because this is what happens when you don't. Well, uh, you were over there. The secretary criticized the conduct of the Iranian elections and Iran's record on democracy. He did so standing next to Saudi officials. How do you characterize Saudi Arabia's commitment to democracy? And does the administration believe that democracy is a buffer or a barrier or, or against extremism? Um, uh. Wow. <laughs> I think what uh, we'd say is that wow, uh, at this meeting, we were worse. able to uh, make significant progress with Saudi and GCC partners in uh, both making a strong statement against extremism and also um, and also putting uh, putting in place certain measures through this GCC mechanism where we can combat extremism. 
clearly one source of extremism, one, sort of, one uh, terrorism threat is coming from Iran. <laughs> and that's coming from a, a part of the Iranian apparatus <laughs> that is not at all responsive to its electorate. Is, is, that, is that good? Did I, did I sufficiently sidestep <laughs> the question? Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll run away. I'll run away now. I mean, not only did they not even remotely answer the question, the point is, why? how can you stand there and not, and paraphrasing, obviously, and compare that in a, with a straight face while standing next to, or, you know, calling Iran the undemocratic state while standing next to a government like Saudi Arabia? That's a simple question. The, art, the question, if you were going to answer it, should have been some sort of argument about why Saudi Arabia is different and what they're doing is not the same. And I mean, all he did was just mumble on about something about how Iran is a certain way. The point is, guys, and somebody asked, maybe he's got an earpiece. That's not the case. He was struggling. This has been dissected by many people. He sat there for a ridiculously wrong per- long period of time, waiting, not answering the question. Um, uh. That's rough. That is rough. Now, the point is, guys, that the, the answer is because we're hypocrites. That's the answer. Because we don't care about either of them. We only care about removing Iran's government because we want something. And we only care about maintaining Saudi's government because we want something. That's all that is. That's the truth about their foreign policy. And it's time that we just acknowledge that. It's very, very, very obvious. Now, and the same point about the Palestinian and Israeli overlapped what they're talking about Russia and Ukraine realize that this is on a regular display all the time and they don't want you talking about this here's just something I plucked out before I went live an Israeli soldier literally hands a tear grass grenade which by the way is in wartime considered a war crime which by the way it's not even tear grass this has been proven many times but what they use in these canisters is unknown and is very dangerous causing seizures and sometimes death but a tear grass grenade to an Israeli settler Right. And a civilian who is settling on occupied or occupying Palestinian land. That's these are illegal settlers. So this Israeli soldier hands them a pier grass grenade and the civilian throws it at Palestinians farming during an olive harvest. That's legitimately what happened. Why is this settler throwing grenades? Now, actually, I mean, really, it's more so that he comes down with the two and hands it one to the IDF member. Regardless, I think it's pretty clear that the they came from the military unless these I mean, who knows? Maybe these settlers are all armed up as well, like everything else. But this is insulting. This is gross. You are. This is a this is the illusion of some kind of process. These people are attacking the Palestinians because they're there. That's what's happening. They are farming and they're attacking them. Certainly also overlaps with the idea of the, you know, suppression of farming around the world. Either way, guys, this won't get talked about. But you have the insinuation about something that Ukraine says happened on the ground in in Ukraine, and it's everywhere across every channel. Now, I kind of see an interesting situation happening here. A couple more points before we lead over into the COVID discussion. I'm, I just, again, like I said at the beginning, I want people to ask questions about whether or not we're watching sort of a you know, a new guard rising in the sense of, you know, whistleblowers and new victimized people that are fighting back against the government, you know, and, and, but most of them, all of them that I can see are within the paradigm. 
So you know where I come from in that regard. I don't trust that. I don't trust these people actually understand or care about the truth when they're lost in the two-party paradigm that's inherently dishonest, whether they see that or not. <clears throat> but what I keep seeing is a bunch of situations that I'm suspicious about. Not to say that I know for sure that they're one way or the other. Question, question, you know, question at all. Question, I mean, if this, what, this first story, for example, could genuinely be an example of a journalist being persecuted by the Biden administration because of stories they covered. Or it could be something else. Or, as I said, I just something about the story and the way it's been handled is very suspicious to me. As it as the, the tweet points out, ABC News producer who was working with, on a book about Biden's disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal, which again, whole topic to be discussed there, was raided by the FBI and has gone missing. Now it's very quickly covered right there, even in the little part that he goes into. But as I understand it, he wasn't he had resigned. And pulled back from public view before this happened. Right? So that's important to understand. But that still doesn't mean it's not exactly how Tucker's framing it or exactly how people are perceiving this. That this is a person, this is a another journalist being attacked. But what's interesting to me is this is a ABC journalist. The very people that Tucker and otherwise right media have otherwise framed as the problem. Right? But then, it, then all of a sudden covering it as a persecution, which might speak to Tucker's objectivity. But something about this just doesn't connect for me. That's just my point. Is I just want us to be skeptical about the people being presented as the ones being persecuted. Let's not forget we're in a world where the more victimized you are, the and you know, of course, on the left in the paradigm, the more righteous and right you are, just because you can point out that you're oppressed and victimized more than other people. Like that's very clearly happening, of course, in the left of the paradigm. But in this case, realize that this the, the we should. It's possible these people could be put out as those, like the Facebook whistleblower that that um, Allison Morrow and I just talked about. That's not, you're not a whistleblower when you come out and toe the line, when you come out and say, yes, exactly what you keep saying is happening, that's what's happening. It's not a whistleblower. You're, you're aligning yourself with the acceptable narrative. A whistleblower comes out and speaks truth to power. And, get, and, and that's the point. And this, this supposed Facebook whistleblower was absorbed like the darling of the government. Suddenly, or you know, the government loves you. It just that's not the reality. And the same thing, this concerns me, is all I'm saying. I was very suspicious about this story. Could we be watching the next whistleblower narrative begin? Like this last supposed Facebook whistleblower. There's more unknown about this story at the moment than anything else. And yet the narrative's already being set. Now I, I'll give him the the Tucker does say that we don't know, and he, he, that's the first thing in this clip. But and I'm not even speaking to his clip of this. Just This is just the point to, you can watch for yourself to understand what's going on. But a lot of the narrative is already being set about how it's about Biden and the, and the, and the, the book he was working on and the coverage of previous information around different regimes. Like, why the regret? Nobody knows what this is about. Nobody. So all we have is a bunch of guesses and suggestions, and it's already kind of setting the table. So I'm just very skeptical. Here's another interesting example. I, you know my opinions on how Elon Musk is a, you know, a, he is an expert at putting himself into the conversation, trolling people and so on. But I've been skeptical about this whole Twitter overlap and how this keeps developing. And then I saw this Bernie's tweet sharing Biden administration. Or Biden's administration is considering making Elon Musk a national security risk and blocking his Twitter takeover and control of Starlink, all in regard to Ukraine. As she writes, this is the new normal where Bill Gates and Schwab pull the strings. Personal success will depend on your allegiance to them. But this is the report. U.S. weighs security reviews for Musk deals, including Twitter by Bloomberg News. So now is now Elon Musk is being persecuted. Right. He's the, the tr guy trying to save Twitter and the government won't let him. 
I just don't, I don't buy that breakdown. But I don't necessarily buy that he may not that he's like entirely on there. I, I don't know. I'm still sussing that out. He just seems like an opportunist to me more than anything. But th- the involvement is hard to miss with Ukraine and everything else. But regardless of all of it, he will be rise put up as this the the persecuted one by the right in the context of Twitter and everything else. I just that that concerns me. Here's another example. I'm sure you saw this today. I stand with Bannon, right? Everywhere. Well, as he says, this illegitimate regime. Oh, so to give you the background. So basically they subpoenaed him for January 6th, which we all know is a ridiculous kangaroo court situation, but he didn't show up. So they sentenced him to, I think, four months in prison. <clears throat> but then it was, uh, you know, suspended uh, pending appeal, which, by the way, I don't think always happens for the average person. But what's interesting is that you there's an argument you made here, right? So one, I agree with the idea that the, the system, and by the way, it's I don't argue it's the Biden administration. I argue it's the U.S. government, whether Trump was in power or Biden was in power, is illegitimate in the context of how they conduct themselves in these situations. Just like we saw during Trump's administration towards people. It's the same thing. Or going back to Bush's administration with people on the left. It, it's, it's, it's all politicized. Nobody in these situations are honest, in my opinion. That's what I hope we can begin to realize. That's just my opinion, but just please ask yourself that. But that he didn't show up. So I understand why that would make, I would even under, I would even agree with that being justifiable. But the point is that whether or not you feel that the court or the intent or the investigation is legitimate, you still essentially broke the law by not going. Again, even though I understand and even think it's justified why that statement is made and why that action will be taken. But it's essentially like saying, well, the government is illegitimate, so I'm going to run this red light. You see what I mean? Even though I agree and say, well, screw them, they're, they're, they're a criminal government. But at the same time, you're still essentially in a small way breaking law. My point is only that not that that's he's being wrong in that sense, but more so that that will be used. So now you're going to have one side of this saying, well, of course he should be arrested because he broke the law, which is true. But then on his side, is going to say, well, the government's illegitimate. But the interesting part about this is they're only pointing at one side of it. Right. So are you pretending there's not right Republicans in these courts? Or involved in the process? Like, it just it doesn't make sense to me. And then he stood up and said, after he's speaking about this, this illegitimate regime, their judgment day is on November 8th, when the Biden administration ends. Okay, explain this to me. Explain to me how they can speak for years about how the entire system has been stolen from them, and the election process is broken, and the machines will steal your votes, which, by the way, I agree with all of that, and then say, go vote, when nothing has changed. Does any, why does anybody buy back into that? As I wrote, vote harder, guys, because voting in the same broken system that they just spent two years telling you is completely corrupted and is currently the exact same as 2020 will work this time. Most important election of our lifetime. Hashtag. I mean, this frustrates me because nobody on the paradigm wants to engage in this conversation. And many people that aren't even really people that are outside of it still. It's like, why, why is it unpopular to make these kind of arguments? The, the reality is that doesn't make sense. Why would you go back and vote in a situation that you just proved was not legitimate? I mean, my God, vote harder, right? Just keep going back to the same system. And then my real point is, why would Biden then make that argument? Or excuse me, Bannon make that argument. Why would you argue the voting is important in a situation you just spent ar- arguing it, it, it was stolen from you? Now, again, I'll always argue that in a genuine situation, a legitimate system that it's honest and and uh, and and not corrupt voting would be important if not paramount 
if it was actually legitimate because people need to be represented. I think that's important, whether it's a republic or democracy or you know par- a parliamentary situation. Like that's 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 important. But we don't live in that situation. That's what we have to realize. I just think that's pretty ridiculous. Am I wrong? Now, all, then my point would be then that the Bannon is already being risen up as the oppressed hero fighting back for democracy or whatever you want to frame it as. I don't buy any of this. All I'm asking is that you question these things before we start framing them as the heroes of today, as the teeter-totter flips back and forth between left, right, left, right, left, right over the next thousand years. That's what this is apparently looking like. Now, in regard to the election part of this, and this begins to talk about the COVID-19 conversation, this is really interesting to me. Now, what this shows you guys is that they don't care about democracy, any of them for that matter. What they care about is using that, just like anything else, to achieve what they think is right at the lower end of the conversation. And then what they want, which is irrelevant about what's right and wrong to the people at the top, right? But the point is, there are people in Congress that, are, that still may buy the narrative this is for a greater good. <clears throat> so what they're arguing, though, sort of like when they argued how a secret cabal was able to stop Trump, admitting that they circumvented what they call democracy, but that's good because we're the good guys and we had to save democracy, right? It's just ridiculous. So the point is they don't care about democracy. And this is the example of that. Because what they're pointing at is democracy. A wave of anti-vaccine legislation is sweeping the United States. Okay, so you can disagree with that. You can even argue that it's dangerous and that these people are, are hurting our children and putting everybody at risk. Okay, you maybe, you may, I don't think that's right, but you certainly could be. But that's, that's, a, that's irrelevant. This is democracy and you're supposed to adhere to what the people vote for, right? So just because just because politicians lie, which you do, too, and we all know everybody does in the situation, you're all lying about everything to argue that the right's lying to pass this legislation is irrelevant. People are choosing to vote for it. That's what matters. Are you going to pretend their votes are being lied about or that they're changing the votes? Oh, now we're getting dangerously in the same situation where you're undermining the integrity of our elections. Right. They've painted themselves into an interesting corner here. There's the only way you could argue this is that this is the bad way to think. And therefore, we have to circumvent democracy for everyone's best interest. But if you say that or insinuate that, then you can't later argue that you can't do that elsewhere. Right. It's just hilarious to me. This is October 6th. As it says, Paul Offit, and this is embarrassing in and of itself, where they just frame him as saying exactly the opposite of what he's currently saying right now. Director of the Vaccine Education Center at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia does not mince words, apparently, in this one paragraph they quote, when describing the scientific legacy of the COVID-19 vaccines. He's, the mRNA shots, he said, are the greatest scientific achievement of my lifetime. That's how they started. Funny how the rest of this article does not go on to mention the other things he has to say, including about this current shot. I guess they just missed that. Great journalism, these people are, right? The benefits of this vaccine outweigh the risks. I, I didn't see the benefits. We really need much better data, I think, before we move forward on this. And I can only hope that it's coming because I feel very strongly about my no vote there. In fact, the only reason I voted no was because hell no was not a choice. And and it just um, surprised me that we were willing to go forward with this with such scant evidence of benefit. I think that the phrase that I... He's talking about the bivalent shot, the most recent. ...use was uncomfortably scant. So you, you just sort of felt like the fix was in a little bit here. Maybe that's not the right phrase, but it was something that, that they wanted. And 
I felt like we were being led here and with a, with, with a, a critical lack of information. Right now, they're saying that we should trust mouse data, and I don't think that should ever be true. I, I don't think you should ever ask tens of millions of people to get a vaccine based on mouse data. And there's no public data on that yet. What's more, for these fall booster shots, the FDA is not consulting with Dr. Offit and the rest of the Independent Vaccine Advisory Committee. Right. The reason to consult. Now, remember, that's different than the ACIP, right? So there's those there, there were public comments that just were had on that discussion. But this is separate. And the idea is that they were supposed to have, as I mentioned yesterday, another meeting where people like, as I pointed out, people like Stephen Kirch and people will step in and have arguments and make their comments. And they just skip that part, which is unprecedented us is because when you do that, when you you consult us, that's open to the public. So we'll get then all the data from the two companies, which then is available to the public. By not doing that, by simply saying we don't need that advice, what they're also saying is we're not going to be transparent about what we have to the American public. Doesn't that sound quite a bit different than what the article just wrote? I mean, this is the kind of garbage we see today. Are you are you pretending they weren't aware of these statements? I, bl- I think this is that. Let me see if this is the same clip. That even if this, even if the entire world were vaccinated, and even if this virus never created variants, it's a short incubation period mucosal infection. It's going to continue to circulate. It's going to continue to cause mild disease. And, and in some, it's going to cause severe disease. So focus on those people. I think sure. the notion of sort of trying to vaccinate as much as we can and as frequently as we can to try and decrease transmission, decrease mild disease, I just don't think that's a, a viable public health strategy. I don't think it would work. How interesting is that? So even if you want to pretend this statement is accurate, which is not, I just played for you the reality that he's arguing that the current iteration of that technology is not working, right? Or at the very least, not shown to be safe just yet or effective. effective. But at the very least, you should add, well, greatest scientific achievement of my lifetime, but it should not be used the way this being pointed to. That's a choice to not include that. These people are choosing what they think is right for you and angling the article that way and using his comments to do so. That's how dishonest this is. But it says worse, experts fear the politicized backlash to the COVID-19 vaccine is already fostering skepticism about routine vaccinations generally from childhood immunizations to flu shots. Well, you're damn right, because we're beginning to see how dishonest you are. I don't know why that's not the most obvious thing in the world. Now, look, it's not a question that they've been caught lying numerous times. That's a fact, 100%. You can debate whether the that then means these are as dangerous as many of us are proving that they are. But either way, they have been caught lying over and over and over, using data from the beginning of the year, claiming that represents current, and then having to roll that back. I mean, they've been caught numerous, the CDC, the FDA, they've been caught numerous times. And so why would we not stand back and go, Maybe we should question the other things they're working on. I mean, that's just basic common sense. But what they're pointing at is that you have that feeling and opinion, and that's a problem. The entire article is under the underlying insinuation is that we need to stop this. We need to do something about this. We can't allow them to think like this. Across the country, Republican lawmakers have drafted a pile of anti-vaccine mandate bills this year. That's actually what that says. So it's not okay to create a bill that says you can't force vaccines on people. <laughs> that's they're writing this like that's oh, that's unterrible. How how dare you say we can't force vaccines in children's arms? You're going to kill us all. Like these people, I argue, are the ones that are so lost that they read that and think, oh my god, they're trying to kill everybody. 
as opposed to the reality is that you're violating our rights, constitutional rights, you're forcing, you're, you're violating our medical freedom, your our inter, international rights, and the fact that you're increasing our risk and everything else. But they don't care about that or they don't see it. It says chipping away at a foundational health practice for the last half century. More than 80 va- anti-vaccine bills. Now, again, there now it, to argue that it's a bill that says we shouldn't be able to force them and call that anti-vaccine, it proves my point. Right. So some of these are not anti. I mean, some of these, I would argue, are let's, let's just even say some of them would be considered anti-vaccine. And rightly, I would say some of them rightly so. We're, we should there's a reason to be anti what they're calling vaccine today. But either way you look at it, the, not all of these are considered anti-vaccine. They're simply pro-choice or pro you. I hate even using that term. Uh, it's about arguing you should have the right to make your own choice. And to them, that's anti-vaccine. That's how stupid this has gotten. And they say they've been introduced in state legislatures, according to academic uh, academics, tracking the phenomenon. Yeah, it's called democracy. Dwarfing the number, the number of countervailing pro-vaccine bills. Public health experts are preparing for an all-out war on school mandates and other vaccine measures in states like Texas. So you're framing it as war because you don't like what the people are voting for. Now, this also gives you the insight into why would you pretend these people would allow you to make these choices when the moment that your choices go against what they think, they freak out like their hair's on fire, right? So the point is, I argue they never, they don't let you do this. They want you to think that's the case. And people writing these articles are still also tricked by the idea that we have any influence over the direction of our policy. But at the end of the day, this shows you that they don't care about democracy because that's what you're looking at. Whether they're wrong or not, they're deciding what they think is right and, and people are voting for it. And they just don't let they don't want that to be the case. We are moving away from the pandemic footing and into an age when reformulated COVID boosters are part of the routine vaccination schedule. <laughs> Oops. By the way, this is October 6th, written before that vote just happened. And now they're all spinning out trying to argue that's not what just happened. Right. Even though that's literally what we all know this is about. And I'll make a brief point about that in a moment. That's absolutely what this is about. There is some there's obviously nuance to the conversation about the the insurance part of it and the idea about the states having the choice. Of course, these are all valid. But the real point, as I'm trying to get people to see, is as RFK Jr.'s pointed out, is that this is about the indemnity, whether or not it gets put on the school on the schedules. It's about the recommendation. Now, it says they have helped avert the shots, they claim. Tens of millions of deaths worldwide, which by some estimates, <laughs> so we're guessing. But why would you say avert? Isn't that interesting? Did they stop the deaths? Did they prevent them? No, they redirected them, essentially, is what they're, that's avert. It's a very strange choice of word. I think they're quietly trying to change their, I, mean, I think the legality is beginning to scare some of these people. It says vaccine skepticism remains a minority position in the U.S. Really? Nearly 70% of eligible vax Americans have been fully vaccinated. Oh, look at that. They're still spinning that old argument, even though they just told you less than 5% of the population's gotten the new thing. And that's up to date. So you're fully vaccinated if you still have two of the old thing, even though they got all the way to four boosters or four shots. And now, now there's a fifth new thing that you need to take. I mean, this is ridiculous. So they're just playing it however they want. So everybody's on the same side because everybody got forced to take two shots right in the beginning. The reality is 5% of the eligible population are on their side. 95% of the eligible population are saying, we don't trust you right now. That's not a minority, guys. It's as clear as it could possibly be. Then it says, that alliance was born 
as the anti-vaccine movement began to de-emphasize debunked links to autism, debunked links, there was peer-reviewed science that showed you that connection, but who cares about the science, and instead embraced the concept of medical freedom. Do you see what they're doing there? Arguing that the idea of medical freedom is a political ploy. A message, well, I would even argue that's not, it's a fair statement to make about how politicians use what you want to get elected. But either way you look at this, the idea that medical freedom is just a, another manipulation to attack vaccines is crazy. That's what they, they don't, they're trying to undermine or say without saying that your medical freedom is not valid. That now no longer does your medical freedom matter when we're using it as a collectivism concept that your grandma's at risk and my neighbor matters. So you have to take what we tell you to. A message, especially in the wake of the Tea Party and Obamacare debate, that appealed to conservative activists and their voters. Yeah, medical freedom, totally a right-wing talking point, right? I mean, that's actually ridiculous, seeing as how medical freedom was a primary talking point of the left going back a long way. But as we know, the parties are an illusion, guys. Wake up. Then COVID-19 happened. First, the Trump administration and many of its political allies downplayed the threat of the virus. And then, this is what they're saying, even after their own program helped develop life-saving vaccines in record time, <laughs> that, that their narrative? Largely framed the question of whether to get the shot that could help the end of the pandemic as a matter of personal choice. And that's a bad thing? You see my point? The argument there is that allowing people to make their own choice was the wrong thing to do. That's how crazy this has gotten. These are authoritarian technocrats that are driving this forward under the biosecurity state. That's happening right now. And they're acting like your choice is killing grandma. Even though it doesn't stop transmission because we don't care about that point anymore. But this is important to dissect. Trump administration and many of his political allies downplayed the threat of the virus. Which, by the way, if you want to pretend they did, well, turns out they were right. Even after their own program helped develop life-saving vaccines in record time. Wait a minute, aren't they the ones that said that they were not going to take them? That it was bad if Trump was involved? And it says largely framed the question of whether to get them that could help end the pandemic in a matter that, that could help end the pandemic as a matter of personal choice, which is exactly was all that that's called freedom. The Trump administration made the pandemic a partisan issue, they said. I think they're paying the price for that. It was a missed opportunity because pandemic failures aside, the vaccines were a bipartisan effort. <laughs> That's how they're framing it now. God, these people are childish, right? Because moments ago, it was bad guy Trump's vaccine. Are you going to take it? Are you going to take it? So it's bipartisan when you said that you shouldn't do it and then you, aren't, you pretended at the moment that it was only your vaccine and now it's just become a bipartisan effort. This is this is a cartoon how often can they lie and just change what they say and people and their sycophant followers just go along with it? Here's what they were saying during this bipartisan effort. I think it's going to be a very skeptical American public about taking the vaccine, and they should be. We can't trust the president uh, and take his word and take a vaccine that might cause harm to us. If and when the vaccine comes, and it's not likely to go through all the tests that needs to be and the trials that are needed to be done. Let's just say there's a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? Well, I think that's gonna be an issue for all of us. When we finally do, God willing, get a vaccine, who's gonna take the shot? Who's gonna take the shot? We will need to have access to the vaccine results so we can make our independent assessment to make sure that Donald Trump's uh, fingerprints are not on it. You can be the first one to say, put me, sign me up. 
They now say it's okay. Is the vaccine safe? Uh, frankly, I'm not going to trust the federal government's opinion. And I wouldn't recommend to New Yorkers based on the federal government's opinion. And the question of whether it's real when it's there, that requires enormous transparency. Would you trust that vaccine? There's very little that we can trust that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. We cannot take for granted this process will be free of political influence. I don't trust the president, and I don't trust the FDA. If Donald Trump can't give answers and administration can't give answers to these three questions, the American people should not have confidence. You're going to say to the American people now, here's a vaccine, it was new, it was done quickly, but trust this federal administration and their health administration that it's safe? I will say that I would not trust Donald Trump. Hey, how confident are you in the approval process of the FDA right now? How confident am I? Uh, I'm not that confident. Yes, I would be hesitant, but I'm going to ask a lot of questions. You're going to need someone other than this FDA and this CDC saying it's safe. You've got to make all of it available to other experts across the nation so they can look and see. So there's consensus this is a safe vaccine. Uh, what I'm worried about is that there's some sort of October surprise and that there is a pressure put on the decision makers here to announce the vaccine in October of 2020. We're going to put together our own group of doctors and medical experts to review the vaccine and the efficacy and the protocol. And if they say it's safe, then I'll go to the people of New York and I will say it's safe. But if Donald Trump tells us I should t- that we should take it, I'm not taking it. I mean, literally everything they went over there exposes what they are. And you could you could have a thousand videos of the same thing happening on the right. So let's not pretend this is a, a, a partisan issue. They're lying about what they're lying or whatever. They're just saying what politically is an advent- advantageous to them when they're not in power. Right. And the point is, I mean, I'm gonna, are you going to take it? Are you going to question it? the transparency showing the other governments of the world what the actual data is? None of that happened. It's not just they, they didn't step in and do things differently. They made all those arguments and then none of it mattered when they went into power. How does anybody trust that? Now, even just in the chat talking about how, you know, 49 percent of people are below average intelligence. I don't believe that. Now, I don't not even necessarily in regard to the intelligence point. My argument is that they sell us on that narrative. So we think that so we feel inept. So we feel like it's insurmountable. I feel like everybody sees this by and large, and the majority of people are aware, but think that they're, they're the minority. I truly believe that today. That doesn't mean that everybody's smart enough to connect all the dots, but do you realize how easy it is to see through this? Even the people that agree or go along with it in most cases are aware that they're being lied to. They just, they're playing team sports. That's most of this today. It's just baffling to me. How obviously dishonest these people are, and yet it still goes round and round and round. A bipartisan effort. It sure sounded like a bipartisan effort, right? So the Trump's, Trump's administration did all this. They poo-pooed all of the whole thing and then took over power and then said Trump had nothing to do with it and said, we did this. Remember that? <laughs> and now, now it's all come back to a bipartisan effort. How great. How great. Oh, and by the way, just so we can see this as of right now, for those out there trying to play the game, this is as of today, as I understand it. Trump renews praise for COVID vaccines. Quote, one of the greatest achievements of mankind. That's Donald Trump. You can't keep playing 4D chess here, guys. The truth is in front of you. It's time to acknowledge that he either doesn't see what's happening or doesn't care. I don't know how in the world he wouldn't see with all of his supporters pointing it out. That means something, guys. Now, Hotez, 
Mr. Hotez with his bow tie, right? Mr. Propaganda on Twitter said that in Texas, he's anticipating a full throttle assault against childhood vaccination requirements in schools. Okay, so what, 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 why does he have any statement on this? This guy's just who they go to to say what they think that, that they want people to say, right? Oh, Hotez will say what we want to have, right? So let's, let's ask him. He's a doctor, right? Okay, is he a politician? Why do we go, hey, doctor, tell us about the elections coming up and what policy's going through. Now, maybe he just is a guy who is in, in, in investigating it because he does, but wouldn't it make more sense to ask somebody who, I don't know, their job is to review pol- policy and, and political action? It's, it's because he is pro what they're talking about. That's all it is. And he's shown himself to be willfully ignorant of things that don't align with what they want or what they're telling you. Right, exactly. He's always wearing his same old lab coat. But it says, hey, just like Zelensky in his green shirt, that tells you something, right? But it says... uh, during the upcoming legislative season, you know, all about the, the other vaccination schedules. According to Reese's review of the public health legislation database, at least 88 bills have been introduced in state legislatures in 2022 that would roll back school vaccination requirements or eliminate the right of a minor to make their own decisions about getting vaccinated. Think of what they just said right there. Like that's a, that only just happened during COVID and they're over there upset because, oh my God, they're going to, they're going to remove the right of a minor to make their own decision about being injected with a dangerous substance, right? You can't smoke a cigarette, can't drive a car, but you can sure as hell have a sex change and get this injection because we've said so. So you don't have the mental capacity to decide whether it's safe to drink or drive or drink or smoke or, you know, join the military, which is the argument, right? They don't have the mental capacity. That's why we don't do that. But somehow, magically, at that same point, they can make the choice to change their body irrevocably for the rest of their life or inject themselves with something that could kill them. Makes sense, right? But oh, how dare you remove their right to do something they shouldn't be allowed to do in the context of everything else we talk about. The idea, though, is this is about allowing people to make their own choices, and they don't like that. So how in the world can they pretend to be pro-democracy or any kind of representative government while the moment you do something they disagree with, they argue you shouldn't be allowed to say that and that we have to stop you from doing it? For democracy, of course. There's a real risk that in some places, attitudes towards vaccines will be harmed in the long run, they say. Oh, by the way, it says, but she counted just 10 pro-vaccine bills, which what does that even mean? Bills that force you to take more vaccines? Right. I mean, what that's the point. Like, what bills are you talking about? Are you trying to pass more legislation that creates some kind of vaccine infrastructure? Right. I mean, there's what you have is forcing injections. The reason there's so many bills coming out to stop that is because it's completely unconstitutional. And most people don't want that. The idea that there should be an equal amount of bills coming back. That the point is, people don't want that. And they just don't. They're not happy about that. Democracy in their minds is only what we want. It says nearly half of the anti-vaccine bills extended beyond the COVID shots in regard to other vaccinations. And good, because we should begin to question all of this stuff. Nobody should be forced to take any of it at all. Now, if you think it's safe and right and you want to, that's your choice. That's always the point. The idea that we're, we're arguing that allowing people to make their own choices is dangerous and bad, that's the, that is the crack through the door. We are seeing the truth of the matter. Apply that to literally everything else. They don't want you to decide for you. They want to decide. School mandates to drive up vaccination rates. The science on that is clear. School mandates drive up vaccination rates. The science is clear. I mean, what? Okay, that's like saying when you, I mean, I can't even make something as stupid as that. Of course, mandates increase vaccination rates because you mandated it. 
the science. I'm sure. How much you want it? Let's see if there's even a link right there. Yeah. Oh, great. There's an entire study that was done and paid for about wondering whether you force someone to do something, if that increases that thing. <laughs> I mean, it's just as stupid as it possibly gets. If you force people to, I can't, I mean, I can't even think of something as dumb as that. You just pick anything, right? If you write down, we're going to make a mandate that you have to watch TV 10 hours a day. Well, guess what? Science found out that when you do that, people watch more TV. <laughs> wow. What an incredible finding. I mean, what a stupid thing to argue that it's just the point is, of course, because you're forcing people. But the real risk is about attitudes changing. So, again, the real argument here is that they're scared of you making your own choices. So why would we think that they allow you to vote for things that they plan? It's just very clear, guys. They're afraid of your choices. Now, talking about the. CDC and the voting schedule for children or the, the childhood immunization schedule. I want to read an article that the defender just put out. This was yesterday. Child abuse on a massive scale. CDC advisors recommend adding COVID vaccines to childhood schedule. Now it says the C and there's, this is important nuance to be had here. It says the Senate, the CDC and the vaccine advisory committee today, yesterday voted unanimously, as you know, to recommend adding COVID vaccines for children as young as six months old to the new child and adolescent immunization schedule which will be rolled out in February 2023. Now, just to be clear, like, for instance, the title we had yesterday, that the CDC votes to add this to the schedule. That's still a, a, a true statement because that's what they did. They voted to do that. Now, the nuance in there is that they are recommending this for that schedule and the states then have the choice to do so. But And the reality, as we will quickly see, is that it will translate to almost all of them doing it. I even argue many of the Republican areas will do it, too, because we're not talking about I mean, look, the, the state is making choices. But you know who's also making choices? And there's already been precedent set by this throughout the entire pandemic or the illusion of it. Colleges. High schools. Right. Making the choice themselves to mandate masks, let's say. Right. Or injections to go to the school. That's not just the governor. The, re the point is that's been allowed by the CDC. And this has already been upheld in court where they say, well, the CDC recommends it. Therefore, it's justified for them to mandate it. That's exactly what courts have found. And people have already made this point. Right. So you, you're going to see this in places that you might not expect. Maybe in Florida, when a local school decides to say, you know what, you have to have it to hear because the CDC says you should. And the CDC is going to stand back and say, we didn't make them do that. We just recommended it. You see how that works? Plausible deniability, apparently. No one's responsible. You have the choice. You're informed consent as we hide everything from you, right? The point is that this is added. They voted for it. There are many states as Del Big Tree, or is a, was it Del Big Tree? The clip that I played, I forget who it was, but made it clear that look, all these states, oh no, it was Tucker. All these schools in, or rather states, already have it set that when this happens, they add it to the mandated schedule because they recommended it. That's not everybody, but that is already happening. So this game they're playing about the differentiation is important to be accurate. But then again, the real point is not about whether it gets added, but as RFK Jr. has pointed out, that once they do this, as they already did, essentially we've lost already to a large degree because that then creates a situation where they are immune from liability. Either it's an adult or anybody for that matter. And that is very concerning. They're never going to market a vaccine, allow people access to a vaccine, an approved vaccine, 
without getting liability protection. Now, the, the emergency use authorization vaccines have liability protection under the PrEP Act and the CARES Act. So as long as you take an emergency use, you can't sue them. Once they get approved, now you can sue them unless they can get it recommended for children. Recommended. Now, here's the point, guys, is that that's all. That's why these ones sitting on the shelf, and I, I argue, hasn't haven't been used. They claim they're approved, but they've never been used in the United States. Comernity, no, spike backs are not being used. That's probably why I would argue, because the idea is that now now that they've got them recommended and once this begins to be initiated in 2023, February 2023. Well, guess what? How much you want to bet almost magically Comernity and Spikevax start getting used in the place of Biotech, Pfizer and Moderna. Whether or not it's even the difference, it's just about the narrative, guys. That's where we are. Now, this article does has some good different nuance here. All COVID-19 vaccines being administered in the U.S. to people under 18 are emergency use authorized products. The FDA did grant approval to Pfizer's Comernity for 12 and older. However, the community injection is not available in the United States, which means all I argue, I, I question whether it's anywhere for that matter, but which means all children who get the Pfizer vaccine are getting an emergency use authorized product, which, as you just heard, means they, they're, they're immune, in, in, indemnity. It says when asked if a that was confusing, they have immunity from prosecution. I meant when asked if a emergency use authorization product could be added to the schedule. This is interesting to me. I didn't think it was even possible, and I don't think it has ever happened before this. A member of the CDC's advisory committee said that the U.S. the Health and Human Services Office confirmed for the CDC that apparently they can add emergency use authorization products to a mandated schedule or rather a recommendation schedule that then they mandate by the states. How is that even possible? Remember in the beginning we were talking about the idea of emergency authorization and the mandates and that was a big sticking point for the conversation. And now it's just like, oh, go ahead. So what does approval even matter at this point? Isn't that the reality? They're, they're just, I said this in the very beginning. Approval is quietly being pushed aside. We're just going to emergency authorize things and emergency mandate things and emergency life forever. If they've added to this schedule and they've already recommended it and they're about to bring out the ones that have claimed to be approved and they say, it, I just don't see how it even makes sense, how they can just skip over that process. We're no longer in a state where they're even claiming we're all in super danger. Like the idea that, oh my God, it's the biggest pandemic of our lifetimes. They're, they're the ones admitting this has been diminished and the new variants could be and long COVID could be. So we're not in a, in a moment where they're going, we have to do this or we're all going to die, right? And yet they keep pushing the emergency use authorization. It just, it's never, it's that obvious how dishonest is a nice word to say there. This is. When asked if a emergency use authorization product could be added, they said, yes, it could. The HHS did. Commenting on the statement, Dr. Merrill Nass said, quote, and that was that. No legal justification, no moral ethical justification, and definitely no medical or scientific justification. Nass said she isn't aware of any emergency use authorization product ever being added to the schedule until today. The committee member said today's vote doesn't affect what vaccines are required for school attendance. The CDC is merely codifying its pre-existing recommendation. Right. But that's not that that's that's a way that's a confusing way of saying we're simply recommending these. The states have that choice. Right. School mandate decisions are made at the state, county and municipal levels. Again, that's the point, too, right there. County and municipal. So there's going to be levels of this that happen even within Republican states. This this discussion doesn't change that, they said. 
This is just a confusing way to make this. They're trying to make this look like nothing happened, even though it's everything. Dr. Robert Malone pointed out pediatricians and state public health officials use that CDC schedule, whether recommended or not. He wrote state public health systems use the schedule to determine which vaccines to require for children to enter schools. The CDC is well aware of that. Yes, some states have more stringent requirements than others. Some states allow for opt-outs, but in the end, most states follow the CDC guidelines. That's a fact. The ACIP functionally establishes standard of care in this area. So they're being dishonest by pretending this doesn't change anything. Commenting on today's yesterday's vote, RFK Jr.'s chairman of the board and chief legal counsel for Children's Health Defense said, quote, this reckless action is final proof of the cynicism corruption and capture of a once exemplary, I disagree with that, public health agency, ACIP members have again demonstrated that fealty to their pharma overlords eclipses any residual concerns they may harbor for child welfare or public health. This is an act of child abuse on a massive scale. Vaccine makers are not liable for injuries or death associated with EUA vaccines, but can be held liable for injuries caused by a, a, a approved injection. Unless that injection is added to the CDC's vaccine, uh, or actually, I think, actually, I forgot about this. I think that was a typo. So it's basically saying that they can be held liable for injuries caused by a approved injection. Oh, no, that, that is correct. So there's another part in here I think there was, a, I, I thought was mistyped, but I'm sorry to confuse the issue. That is correct. So the bottom line is they're not liable with emergency use authorization. That's the big point. That's why they're pushing it. But once they approve it, they can. But unless, as you pointed out, they add it to the recommended schedule. Parents of children injured by vaccines listed on the childhood schedule typically can seek compensation through the taxpayer-funded National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, or the Vaccine Court, a no-fault alternative to the traditional legal system for resolving vaccine injury claims. However, the revisions voted on yesterday by the committee explicitly, and I think very tellingly, state that the newly added pneumonia injection and COVID-19 vaccines are not covered by the VICP. That's interesting. He explains why. Instead, the COVID vaccines added to the childhood schedule remain covered by the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program. And to date, only six claims filed have ever been approved for compensation. (laughs) Gee, I wonder why they went with that one. Right. Because that's also very tightly, much more tightly controlled, I argue. But the point is, this is a way to hide what's happening. Just dishonest from top to bottom. How many more shots will kids get today or yesterday's vote on adding the covid injection means 18 more shots. So only one was the covid injection. They voted on a lot of different things. One per year between the ages of six months and 18 years will be added to the schedule, according to Toby Rogers, Ph.D. Quote, so overnight. The childhood schedule would go from 54 injections, which is crazy, 72 antigens because of combined shots like MMR, which, by the way, they've still never tested whether those are safe. And we know that they're not. You know, Del Bigtree, vaxxed. Check out the information. Brian Hooker, the reality of how very obviously honest and true that was compared to today. I mean, that needs to be brought back up again. I'm sure many people have. But that brings it to 72 injections, 90 antigens. That is absolutely nothing to do with health, he says. It's all about profit and power. My God. Now, don't forget, by the way, the correlation with the Act of 1986, which, which gave them indemnity, and the dramatically high skyrocketing amount of shots that correlates exactly with the rise of autism and all sorts of childhood problems and SIDS and SADS and everything else. But it's, we're baffled. We're so baffled by it, just like we are today, right? 
COVID shots added to vaccine for child program. Now, here's the different point about this, right? The, the VFC also does add to the same point of whether they promote these. I mean, this is it's important to see both of these and both are voted on. The ACIP members voted unanimously to adopt a resolution to add it to the Vaccines for Children program, which again was for children that can't afford these, that insurance and so on. Now it says the resolution added vaccines for prevention of COVID-19 to that program for children ages six months to 18. Now, Brian Hooker, the, the Children's Health Defense Chief Scientific Officer and Associate Professor for Biology at Simpson University in Reading, specializing in microbiology and biotechnology, told the defender the move to add the COVID-19 vaccines to that schedule, the VFC, is a prerequisite for getting the shots on the child's schedule. So all these choices add up to the same thing. Quote, if the VF, VFC didn't pay for the vaccines for children that couldn't afford them, well, many children would then be out of compliance with the state requirements and wouldn't be able to comply. So this is them. What this shows you guys, the choice to vote for that simultaneously shows you this is 100% about getting this on the schedule. Because if you voted to have it on the schedule and then states made that the case and then they pointed out that, well, there's all these people that can't afford it. You can't force people out of school because they can't afford an injection that you mandate for them. So they made sure this would be the case. It's one, two, three. They're making this happen right in front of you. Now, during Wednesday's meeting, Dr. Matthew Dolly, chair of the CDC's COVID-19 vaccine work group, introduced the committee's discussion on COVID-19 vaccines in pregnant women. They also talked about this. The CDC official with the, the National Center for Chronic Disease Prevention and Health Promotion presented data on COVID-19 in pregnant women, stating that negative outcomes, including all-cause mortality, were higher in pregnant women with COVID-19 than those without COVID-19. Okay. I mean, what does that even mean? I mean... I mean, look, if, if it is something that's there, it's kind of obvious to point out that, well, people that don't have this thing are better off than those that do have this thing. Okay, what does that have to do with the fact that the injection is dangerous, or rather you don't know if it's safe for people that are pregnant? Apparently, they just skipped right over that. However, NAS pointed out that the data they used even to make that argument was from 2020. This is how completely broken these people are. They can't not lie at this point or cover up their information, in my opinion. The presenters also cited death certificate data from January 1st, 2020 through October 1st, 2022, showing 265 deaths involving COVID-19 had occurred among infants ages 0 to 5 months old. That's horrifying, by the way. Whilst the intent of the presentation is to scare us regarding 1 to 6-month-old babies, NAS said in her live blog, in fact, COVID was present in only 0.5% of the babies who died over the pandemic. Now, the reality for me, I think we've proven this, is that that's not what's happened to these kids. That, that, that's the point she's essentially making there, is that you can prove that in most cases, these were babies that had died from something else, that they gave a PCR test. In, case, in some cases, after they were dead, I even showed that with adults, and said, oh, that, that COVID, that's what it was, COVID, put it down. And don't forget, we've talked about how they changed the, the uh, underlying cause of death kind of concept to where they, if it's COVID, that becomes the cause of death, even if it wasn't the cause of death. All for your safety, of course. This is just manipulating data and hurting children to that effect. During Wednesday's public comment session, some individuals expressed concern over the vaccination of pregnant women. Gee, I wonder why. Right? See if I can grab this real quick. Hey. Try to grab the, uh, the, the tweet that I had about pregnancy. Just to include it for people to, so they can have it. I always forget to grab this when it's time to time to go. 
do this. After hours live. Let's see if it works. There it is. Bingo. Okay. Just to include this for those that want the information showing you that they're absolutely arguing that they're, you know, pushing this right now. Here's the CDC safe for pregnant people while their own data says, we don't know if it's safe for pregnant people <laughs> as of September. Right. So how can the data say, we don't know if it's safe. And they can say, we know that it's safe. <laughs> That's called a lie guys. That's called a lie. There's no way around that. They're lying to you. And the point is they're talking about this in this meeting. You know why? Because they don't know if it's safe. Isn't that interesting? So again, how is that even possible when here's the CDC page saying safe for pregnant people? It's because they're dishonest and they're criminals, in my opinion. He asked when we when will the CDC officials look up and consider what other countries are doing? That's a great point that we don't make enough. There's entire governments out there, entire countries that have, in some cases, never complied with a lot of this, but many of which have changed what they're doing. Germany, I believe, was one in regard to certain areas, but there was many more in the, in the, in the uh, Norwegian areas where there's a con- there are countries that have removed it entirely for children. Or said in general for, I think, I mean, I don't want to misquote it. There's a lot of different age groups that have been completely removed. In some cases, they're saying they don't even recommend it anymore. How do you make sense of that? How can they be forcing it on six-month-old babies and other countries are saying nobody should have it? Or people like Dr. Drew or Dr. Maholtra, Dr. Malone, or Dr. All these experts are saying you're all being hurt by this. It says where health officials declined recommending the COVID injection for children. They said no clear benefit. Dr. Paul, if it said the same thing. And Denmark, that was the one where officials suspended the COVID vaccination program altogether. Apparently, they don't care about that. Because it's all about your health, right? Here's an interesting thought. I, just, I thought this was a great little clip. Because this is what's happening. In particular, we can see this right now with the idea of whether or not I mean, in any of these, really, whether we're talking about the injections, whether we're talking about stopping transmission, whether we're talking about mass or Wuhan lab or whatever. I do think this is an, an interesting point to make that we all know. We all see this right now. It's undeniably obvious. But just hearing him state it, hopefully it'll kind of like, I don't know, wake people up to this a little bit more. Just because it's, it's sometimes the most obvious thing in the world is not as obvious as you may think it is until it's stated out loud anyone notice this trend among some of our government experts lately it starts off with them telling you a thing if you question the thing you will be mocked ridiculed and potentially censored it then turns out later that the thing that they told you wasn't quite as true as they promised you it would be and when you point this out they revert to telling you that well they never told you the thing that they told you and then when you show them incontrovertible proof that they did in fact tell you the thing that they told you they just suggest that you should be mocked ridiculed and potentially censored i can't imagine why we don't trust these guys Right. I mean, that we, nobody can deny that that's happened numerous times. I mean, oh, I, people can deny, but they, it's obvious that it has happened. Right. And there's your point. Right. It's just I wonder why we don't trust them. They're being dishonest. That's why we don't trust them. So then to point to the fact that we don't trust them and call that conspiracy theory is just, I think, a, a lack of options. <laughs> I think they just don't know what else to do because they lost. That's my point from before is they will keep going no matter what. They'll drag themselves forward with nobody supporting them. And if until we stand up and go, whoa, we all agree that you should. The point is, even they will do it regardless. It's time for us to stand up and do something about the fact that we all see the problem. As somebody else points out in regard to the same situation, how can the CDC add it to their vaccine schedule or the recommended for the schedule when a single dose of the FDA approved community injection, modified, optimized codons, two mutations has not been administered in the country? 
right? And and uh, they point out to one of the articles we wrote, we point we, the shows we did on this. Changes to community can be dangerous and cause lasting effects. I mean, here's the actual post. Have identical amino acid sequences of the encoded antigen, but community includes the presence of optimized codons to improve antigen expression. And we covered this, and it's not as all, I mean, there's a lot more points than just that one. But as they list here, and you can see, there's a lot of, there. we, we went over the, watch the show if you want to go into the more depth of it. Here's the actual show itself. Numerous studies show, and this is the truth, that the changes made to community, exactly what is there stated, can in fact be dangerous and cause lasting effects. That's the truth. That's what the studies did find. You can debate it, but you can't say fake news and censor, which is what they're doing, despite the fact that they say trust the science, right? The reality is that these things are untested, are dangerous across the board, whether a community, Pfizer, bivalent, whatever else. That's what the data shows. And yet, it's being added anyway. Sunel Duand MD points something else out that I just think is important to state out loud like the other point. He says, I am a doctor. Every patient has the right to complete bodily autonomy after being informed of the risks and benefits of any intervention, in parentheses, informed consent. I respect that choice and remain non-judgmental. In 2022, this statement puts me at odds with the medical establishment. How stark is that? that? I mean, my God, he's right. Saying that you have choice is anti-vaccine, apparently, right? Objectivity is extremism. We are living in Orwell's world right now. Now, here's a sad example of the things that they don't want you to see as they force us on children. I mean, this is literally what it says. Mommy, make it stop. I mean, it almost makes me cry to hear that. 11-year-old female, five minutes post first dose, said she couldn't hear said she couldn't feel her ears, lost consciousness, came to after four, two to five minutes, after, had a seizure for five minutes, screamed for her mom to make it stop. This is endless. These are the VAERS reports that they just pretend aren't there. Now, the point is we need to remember, guys, that this is a system that has been designed. This is the CDC's core system that they manage. Just like the 2006 Rain, uh, Dr. Rain from, from UK said on the record, it's not about proving these things. It's about the signals, right? All we need is a large signal. That's enough to stop these programs. That's what they don't want you to know today because that's what's already happened. You, you can argue it's all vac- anti-vaccine conspiracy theorists. You still have to prove that, though, and they haven't. The reality is that right now this system, out of all the vaccines that are on there, all the vaccines that they put, all the hundreds of vaccines they have possibly on that system, and 90-something percent of the entire system over all these years is just COVID-19 vaccine reports. After a decade. Think about how wild that is. You guys all know this. And they just disregard it. And there, a lot of them are horrifying reports just like this. Going all the way back to the very beginning and the trials themselves, where we showed you infants dying. Mothers that were pregnant, having their babies dying after breastfeeding. Spike protein, guys. This is obvious. Ben Swan points out, of course, that after they voted to add the recommend recommend this for the schedule, Pfizer targets COVID vaccine price of at least $110 a dose. Oh, so they're increasing their price. Remember when they acted like it was going to be a public service? Yeah, you've always been paying for it through your taxes, of course, and your government buying it regardless of whether you want it. Interesting timing, though, after they vote to add it and then suddenly they increase the price. Now, very quickly, I went over this briefly at the end of yesterday's show. I just want to reiterate this point. October 13th, what this is showing you guys is that the breakdown of risk is unbelievably low. Unbelievably. 
the infection fatality rate, the average, taking all this into account from 29 different countries, 0.035%. That's your infection fatality rate. For the 0 to 59-year-old population, it was 0.095. For the 0 to 69-year-old, oh, excuse me, the other way around. Uh, it was the, the medium for the 0 to 59 was 0.035, 0.095% for the 0 to 69. To cut to the chase, the global, adding nine more countries to that mix and doing a global average, it is 0.025. Oh, wait, no, it's the one beneath it, sorry. The, the global is 0.03 to 0.07 respectively. I, it, the only time it even gets bit past what the low flu problem would be is what they claim is 60 to 69 years old. And that, I argue, is obviously, provably, because of the way that they handled those people, jamming them in nursing homes and, and giving them injections that were dangerous right in the beginning, that it, it, it created a huge issue. And you could prove that. You could prove that a dramatically high percentage of what happened in the beginning was all in New York, let's say. And they just even that risk out and say we're all in danger. It's provably not the case. The vast, vast, vast majority, 59 and below, are at dramatically less risk than the flu, if not the flu itself. And of course, I only say that because 50 to 59, they argue, is 0.129. But that's, this is using their reports, understand. And even that is showing you this is less than the flu for anybody under 50 years old, apparently. I mean, it's just insulting. Here is the breakdown that we should see, by the way, the survival rate. Right? If you are 50 years old, your survival rate is 99.871. If you're 30 years old, your survival rate is 99.989%. If you're 19, it's 99.9997%. And they are forcing this on the six-month-year-old babies that are basically mathematically, it's, it's an, almost a mathematical impossibility at this point. Certainly a fractional possibility, but the idea of, as I've said before, Oxford Calculator says one in a million for 19-year-olds. We use the term one in a million as impossible. Ah, one in a million. It's way, way, way less likely than one in a million. One in a million is for 19-year-olds. Take it down to six months, it's not possible. These people are not having problems, and they are lying to you about it. Here. Oh, this is a tweet that got deleted. I wanted to include this. I thought it was interesting. I don't know how what actually happened here. This guy's tweet, or this guy's account, that says doesn't exist. Usually it says suspended, right, when it's removed, but the account was blue-checked. Oh, no, it wasn't actually. Or maybe it was. I thought it was actually when I looked at it last. Maybe they took it away when they deleted it. I'm pretty sure they had a blue check next to it when I looked up the... Yeah, it's right there. I'm glad I remember this. So this guy has a blue check. Professor Francois Boula. I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name. So he has a blue check. He posts something that is study a scientific study and simply talks about it. And now his whole count's gone. <laughs> you t- I'm not, I don't know whether he removed it or what, but I tend to think it's because he got removed. Here's what it says. This is an important piece of work. To me, it looks solid both conceptually and methodologically. I was given advance warning and was able to replicate the key findings. Now, you can take his word for that, but that's interesting. To the best of my knowledge, I confirm the reported patterns are genuine. Here's what it says. It's a preprint. This fingerprint indicates a synthetic origin of of SARS-CoV-2. Look at that. Now, of course, this is where you get into the argument. People that are going to say, but viruses don't exist and you're all shills because you entertain that argument. Okay, well, shouldn't we just at least engage in the conversation to find out where this is coming from? Are they lying about it? Right? What do they find and why do they think that? The problem is if you just disregard topics because you're not supposed to cover those because we've already decided the reality, even if you're right, you're not helping the truth. That's the problem there. But the point here is that they're arguing this study finds a synthetic origin. 
And this keeps spinning back and forth. I just saw another thing that came out and said another huge study that was saying we think it's natural. <laughs> so it's just it's I think this is meant to be a manipulative distraction argument back and forth when possibly it's not even there at all. Now, that's not necessarily to talk about whether they entirely exist in general, but the idea that and it's, that's certainly possible. We should have that conversation as I have. But the idea that like Denny Rancourt's research, that they very easily could have lied about this entire situation using flu and pneumonia and PCR tests and the elderly in nursing homes and made it look the way they wanted to. And now they're calling all the vaccine problems, COVID-19 and flu and everything else. This possible. Uh, that's what makes most sense to me at this point. Not that it's not possible that they could have you know, been playing God in their labs and caused a problem or tried to use it to hurt somebody and it blew up in their face or maybe all of it's the way they want it to go. I really don't know. And you know what? No, neither do they or the people that want to argue that we all know that this is that way or this way. The truth is that nobody really knows, but it's important and interesting that this is coming out. But I don't think it, I think it's far less important at this point, whether it was manufactured as opposed to what they're doing with the injection because of it. Just my personal opinion. But again, nobody's taking the, the shot at this point. Less than 5% have taken the bivalent. Another fascinating vaccine demand stat from Canada. There are 11.7 million Canadians that took two mRNA doses, but no third. Since the Moderna bivalent shot's been available, only 1.1% have taken it. Consumer appears done. You are not alone. Even the people that are not going to admit that they realize that's dangerous are beginning to realize it's dangerous. Most of them are never going to stand up and be like, you're right. Because they've been screaming at you online for two years, right? The point is they're going to quietly distance themselves from the situation and deal with the fallout in their body. But they're stopping. And the data and the link is right there. You can check out for yourself. And here's what, here's what Canada's saying. The fact that you people saying the pandemic is over doesn't motivate people to get vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> obviously. But so if it's over, why would you need to get vaccinated, right? So it's just so funny. It's all about the fact that getting the injection is all that matters. Who cares if there's a pandemic? You're not getting the injections. How dare you? Well, here's another example. Thousands of vaccine doses from Germany were apparently discovered on a completely disgusting beach in Peru. Look at this. Are we going to pretend like these things are being used like, we, like we're being told that they are? I mean, come on. Either Germany is getting rid of them and without telling people that. But guess what? That's your tax dollars right there. So they're probably buying them because they have to and getting rid of them because no one's taking them. The whole story that no one's talking about. But guess what? On top of all of that, you guys probably already saw this if you're attuned to the day-to-day -day cycle. I'm just catching up with stuff that I've had on the, on the docket here. CEO of Moderna recently said on the 17th that you don't even need this all the time. That only people that are especially sick do kind of like the flu. But that challenges the entire standing of everything they're pushing right now. If that's the case, then why did they just add it to the recommended schedule for everybody? If that's the case, why are there still schools forcing it for people that are adults and, uh, and otherwise? This does not make sense. They've lost control of the narrative. That's what this looks like. One question that everyone has is, is the COVID vaccine going to become that? Is it going to be an annual COVID booster for a very long time to come or maybe for the rest of our lives? And how do you, you know, how do you merge that with the fact that there's already low uptake of this new variant booster? So I think it's interesting. The uptake is actually stronger than seasonal flu from the data I've seen recently. So we have to see toward the end of the season, what does it look like? It's the first time we're going to be more in an endemic setting than a pandemic setting. So apparently we're not in a pandemic anymore. Thanks. Thanks, Moderna. But what, what's interesting 
is that there's only two ways to take that. Either that means that regularly we get less than 5% of people that are eligible to take the flu shot, which wouldn't surprise me, or he just lied to you about how many people are taking the new booster or the shot. Only two ways that can go. We, I mean, because we know it's less than 5%. That's what the U.S. government's telling us. So is he lying or are we being told that nobody takes the flu shot either and never has? I find that pretty interesting. But he also said we're not in a pandemic anymore. As we enter the endemic phase, it's just funny how all the narratives mix and spin. And, and it just they say whatever they want to say in the moment to get you to do what they think you should. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll be smarter in a month or two. But the current data showing is a better uptake than seasonal flu shots. And I think it's going to be like the flu, which is... Again, if you're 25 years old, do you need an annual booster every year if you're healthy? You you might want it to protect other people. You might want it because you don't want to get sick and miss work or miss vacation or so on. But I think it's going to be very similar to flu, where the key is going to be people at high risk, people above 50 years of age, people with comorbidity, people with cancer and other conditions, you know, transplant. Uh, and that's really important to think about. And if you look at it, around the world, that is 1.5 billion people. So it's a lot of people that are going to need an annual booster and people that are younger are going to have to decide for themselves what they want to do. I mean, the example I always use is myself. You know, I've been taking a flu shot for the last 20 years. You know, I just turned 50. So in my 30s, in my 40s, I took an annual flu shot. Is it because I was worried of being hospitalized? Of course not. I just didn't want to be sick. I wanted to be able to work. And I believe that the best thing we can all do in medicine is prevention. And vaccine is one of the most amazing healthcare tools we all have. So I took a vaccine against flu so I didn't get sick. And so I could, you know, have a normal life and work and take my vacation, be with my friends and family. I love I love the girl's comment. You know, best thing we've ever done in our lifetime. Absolutely right. Because that's we all agree that vaccine's good all the time. Right, right, right. It's funny. You know, it's like. There's no pushback whatsoever. There's no journalistic engagement from any corporate media today. It's just no towing. Go, yes, 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 exactly. Good, good, good. (laughs) But what's funny there is that that challenges the entire standing. Everything he just said there is the opposite of what we're getting from every government that's pushing the vaccine, the injection, that you have to. There's colleges making this mandate. So how does that make sense if the creator of one of the most prominently used mRNA platform injections is saying you don't even need this? It's only if you want it. Because it's like the flu, right? That cat was out of the bag a long time ago, and they're still trying to force this on you. It's, this is criminal. Now, here is one of the biggest outspoken shifting sides. Now, again, it's, rightly, you, it's right to be skeptical of someone in this position. But nonetheless, even if he is doing this for his own purposes or you know whatever you want to read into it, what he's saying is still useful in the moment to point out. Because it does reveal that something we've been saying from before. But just be cautious about how this might be used into the next argument. Right. Maybe there's a reason they want us to admit this now as they step into the next play, like with the transmission point. Just just something to think about. Nonetheless, this is important to hear. This is Dr. Asim Holtra talking about mRNA products. He's saying, I find it very difficult to believe that Pfizer executives don't know this is happening. So that speaks to the culpability. They know what's going on. They're hiding that from you. That's crazy. But easily provable, in my opinion. I mean, I think so. How did I do that? Well, here, let me play this one first. Since I do have this one loaded up and I'll grab this one while this one's playing. Here's the other one. He said, this might do, and this is another huge point to be made, regardless of the, what we just said before. 
that we have been pointing out, people like Jay Wilderness, let's say, or Good Science saying, there's different groups out there that have been actively trying to point out that there's a reason to be concerned about the overwhelmingly obvious amount of people, athletes in particular, that have been collapsing, having heart problems, having strokes, having heart attacks. Now, this is an odd focus around Canadian doctors. I'm open to the argument. I just don't see why that's been plucked out. It should just be all doctors or and the, the beginning. It was a lot of doctors in one hospital. That seemed interesting. But I don't know what the focus is. It should just be the fact that we have a lot of people doing this. I think children and athletes are much easier to point to make. There's no study investigating how many doctors collapse of heart attacks in a certain time frame. But there are with hospital or with with athletes. And I've proven with the FIFA study, with the NIH study, that what's happening in any year you want to point at, 2021, 2022, even thus far, is more than you've seen in any given period of time. It is unbelievably obvious. Whether you think it's the injection or not, that's the truth. It is, there is something causing this. And all they want to do is go, it's not the vaccine, therefore we can pretend it's not there. It just shows you the dishonesty. So here's what he says. It's his duty to inform you that he believes that what we're seeing in the athletes, at least in part, is because of the injection, or could be. It is my duty and responsibility as a consultant cardiologist and public health campaigner to urgently inform doctors, patients, and members of the public that the COVID mRNA vaccine has likely played a significant role or been a primary cause of unexpected cardiac arrests, heart attacks, strokes, cardiac arrhythmias, and heart failure since 2021 until proven otherwise. Now, here's an interesting point, though. You know, so what is the argument there? I don't even really know. What's the argument? What do the people on Twitter say about this? Is he suddenly now an alt-right conspiracy theorist, anti-science? I mean, how can you possibly argue that? The guy stood up on TV, took the injection, parroted all the talking points, even took for a while, shouted down the fact that anybody questioning this was a conspiracy theorist. He said, oh, it's there, it's wrong, and they're being crazy. And then he, and he's spoken on this. Suddenly he saw through it. Suddenly people sent him things and he was like, okay, wait a minute. That doesn't line up. That doesn't make sense. And so here he is now saying this. So what's their argument? He is a scientist. He's very highly credentialed. He's well-respected previous to this. I don't, I, I don't know how one of those people can dismiss something like this. Or Dr. Drew, for that matter. Somebody who, whether you respect him or not, is somebody who was a prominently mainstream character who was always towing the line. Even that clip we play about Pfizer says it was promoted by Drew, Drew Pininsky, whatever his last name is, right? I mean, he's played that role before and suddenly now pushing back. That's why I tend to question whether this is a controlled, you know, changing of the guard. But regardless, there's the average person on Twitter that still shouts you down because you're crazy. And here's somebody who they were moments ago listening to telling them, I now see this is very dangerous, collapsing athletes, all the things they were shouting down as conspiracy theory. It's a, it's a choice. It has to be. Oh, and then here's the other one I was going to play. I'm glad I didn't forget that. This is important. Telling you that this is them. He, that this is culpability. Or the fact that they're covering this up. That's the main point, right? The whole point of the day. There's an immense, there's a, a cover-up of immense proportions. I mean, it is everywhere. That data suggested at the time it was likely to cause more harm than good in most people. And that's a smoking gun. That's more than enough evidence for us to pause and stop the vaccine rollout. So, Myocarditis is one issue. The other very good, clear data um, actually reveals that in people aged between 16 and, and 39, Israel data showed this, there was a 25% absolute increase in heart attacks and cardiac arrest 
which wow. is associated with the vaccine, but not associated with COVID. This has now been replicated in Florida, a similar type of findings recently. Um, and that's why the general surgeon of Florida has come out and suggested that certainly people in that age group shouldn't be having the vaccine. But see, this is not a partisan thing, despite the fact I mean, you have to point out being objective that at the very least, the right media is giving people a chance to speak on these topics. Now, that could be because they're being honest or it could be because they see the advantageous you know, political acts. It's advantageous to them to play this role, like I pointed about Putin playing the good guy in foreign policy. That's possible. That's all I'm saying. It doesn't have to mean they're doing it because it's right. It could just be what's beneficial to them in the moment. But regardless, you have to point out that the right media is allowing people like this to speak or that the Florida Surgeon General is making those statements and putting the studies out. So one of those possibilities is that they genuinely are fighting for you. I'm open to that. I hope that's the case. I'm very skeptical. But it's interesting because how the hell do you ignore something like this? Listen to what he's saying. It's been vindicated by previous peer-reviewed studies, multiple countries, different areas, just all fake news because the, the CNN channel said so, apparently. I've looked at that data. I've spoken to the researchers in Israel. And in fact, this signal of harm is for everybody. Right. Even people over the age of 60, not to that degree. Well, doctor, let me, let me jump in here and just very quickly. Given what we know thus far, was this vaccine rolled out too quickly without adequate testing because of the global pandemic nature of things? I think yes. But, Laura, I find it very difficult to believe that Pfizer senior executives and Pfizer scientists didn't know when it was being rolled out because they have access to the raw data, which we now know shows significant harm. It's likely they knew this, which means that I don't think it probably, with hindsight, and I'm sure an investigation will reveal this eventually, it probably should never have been rolled out in the first place. Right. Wow. This, I mean, if this is the case, this is a global scandal. We've been covering this from almost day one, a global scandal. I mean... It's as yeah. big as they know, it Almost day one. Give me a break. Don't you love how they sidle themselves in there like we've been on this since the beginning, right? I've always been. I'm the only one saying this. Right? So many out there. The, pro- the point is like that. It's a short one, but you give me the exact amount of time with him and I'll have X. I mean, you know, or many other people in our field, I would have a gigantic. I mean, there's so many more important things that she could have sussed out of that or the points that she made that sort of opened the door for the idea that there is a problem that we need to deal with. Right. Like the, because the pandemic was so serious. That's just, I mean, that's her. That's her finishing point. And he's like, well, no, I mean, it's it's not even about that The argument was to suggest that Trump was doing what he thought was right. That's what I suss out of that personally. Regardless, that's how you play the partisan game, using the truth to achieve your end. The frustrating part about that is, is I mean, I've seen some good interviews with him, but I'd love to get people like this on there and ask the real questions because he seems willing to go all the way to get into the idea that they know about this or the idea that this is dangerous for everybody. There's very few people out there saying that, even with someone like him making that comment. It's frustrating, but here is, oh wait, well, I'm not there yet. The next point, the Daily Skeptic points out, as they're pushing this on children, in one in 500 children under five years who received the Pfizer mRNA injection were hospitalized with a vaccine injury, and one in 200 had symptoms ongoing for weeks or months afterward. No, that's not the Daily Skeptic. That's a study peer-reviewed on the JAMA Network. Right. I mean, this is the frustrating part about this. How is that out there? Right. How is the study out there? Which I've, I, th- I believe I've even shown you this before. No, this is a new one. This 18th comparative study of the, B- the, the 
messenger RNA injection versus an, another approved vaccine in children younger than five years. October 18th, JAMA Network is a peer-reviewed platform. One in 500 children were hospitalized and they just put it on the vaccine schedule or recommended for it. Is that trusting the science? It's not a preprint. It's, you know, it just, it, there's no denying what that is. Here's this, another study, Science Direct, another peer-reviewed platform. Pfizer-BioTech COVID-19 injections induce phosphodiolacerine, <laughs> that's the hard word, autoantibodies, and a bunch of these crazy things. Digital necrosis is what that is right there in patients with pre-existing autoimmunity. It's just more and more and more and more of this stuff happening to people because of the injection. Whether or not, by the way, it ends up being something that was because of a previous pre-existing issue like autoimmunity, but it wouldn't have happened otherwise. The, this is the catalyst. Or I shouldn't say it wouldn't have happened otherwise, but it was still responsible. Now, that's one small part of this, but we can see a huge body of evidence showing that there's things that are being caused that were never there to begin with. And here's the study you can read for yourself. Now, on, in regard to the myocarditis part of this, Here's Judicial Watch pointing out, this was yet or two days ago, HHS records show senior CDC officials discussing myocarditis in adolescents following vaccine, COVID vaccine. This goes back before where they were talking about this stuff before while acting like it wasn't really there. Judicial Watch announced this was on the 19th that it received 1,081 pages of records from the HHS detailing internal discussions about myocarditis and the COVID injection. Other documents detail adverse events for which a contributory effect of the vaccine could not be excluded. But, of course, withheld that from you, though, while forcing it on your children. On May 13, 2021, Senior CDC Director, Division of Birth Defects and Infant Disorders, Amanda Cohen, wrote to the FDA Director uh, for the Centers for Biologic e Evaluation Research, Dr. Peter Marks, and other officials about COVID injections, saying, quote, I have other, another issue to discuss as well, reports of myocarditis in adolescents. I am putting together an email, but this may come to the surface this weekend. Think about what that says. First of all, it's May 2021, when they were still very clearly dragging their feet on this, saying, well, it's possible, but super rare. He, they are saying this is going to come to light. Now, that's showing you that, that mean, in that exact moment, if this was something they were finding that showed an increased risk of this that, they didn't, that we didn't know about, while they knew people were being forced to take this, that should have been stop everything, get this on the news, get this in front of everybody. Instead... She sends an email out that says, this is going to come to light. We have to do something about this. And they did. How in the world this isn't seen as absolute criminal activity is beyond me. In a section of the FDA briefing document submitted by Johnson & Johnson to the FDA regarding trials of the injection, they note that five people experienced serious adverse events, selected events among vaccine recipients for which a contributory effect of the vaccine could not be excluded. Same thing. Now, in the interest of time, it goes on to talk about pregnancies, Note the women who became pregnant following the Johnson shot. Two of the babies who were lost, one due to a ectopic pregnancy, another due to spontaneous abortion. It's, 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 there's so much of this stuff that they just kept from your view until we forced it out. Now, realize that's why that translates to we don't know if it's safe instead of we know it's not safe, right? So they're much happy to go, we don't know for sure. And then act like that means it is, as opposed to pointing out that children died during our studies and we excluded them because we can't prove, we don't want to prove. I mean, there's so much criminal activity here, it makes my teeth hurt. Here is the Google Drive document from CDC Wonder, which is another one of these organizations. This is Bayer's results, but CDC Wonder is organizing these results. 
This is absolutely mind-blowing. Jump to this link in there. It's already posted on the website or on the, on the link that we put out. And scroll through this. It'll probably take you half the day. Every single one of these are myocarditis, shows the vaccine type and the age and what happened. Three to five years old, hospitalized. Which, whether hospitalized or not, remember, even Dr. Drew made the point that before COVID, it was like, rush to the hospital because you might die. And now it's like, no, no, no big deal. No, it's just most, most not a big deal. And, you know, just downplaying the reality of what these things are. And even if hospitalized or not, the reality is that this is going to be a problem, most likely, in the most percentages for the children for the rest of their life. But my point is, guys, scroll through this. Three to five years old, emergency room. Three to five years old, emergency room. All of these, three to five, three to five, all of these. Every one of these is myocarditis. Many of them are death. Six to 17, six to 17, six to 17, death, death, death. You get the point, right? And just, just to make the point. That's, it's just catching up. See, now it's still going. It just had to catch up. It goes on and on and on and on. I mean, it is painful. We're still six to 17 years old. Emergency room, emergency room, six, 17 years old, emergency room, emergency room. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. I mean, this alone is enough to say this should be stopped. But apparently we don't care. If you really want to horrify yourself, go ahead and read the descriptions for most of these. I mean, guys, it just goes on and on. That's incredible. Now, I could spend the rest of the show giving you examples of what this is and how it's happening. But let's just take one of the most sad examples that they just continue to ignore. Again, while Dr. Moholtz is telling you he believes this is happening, right? Or that it's connected to some degree. You know, Illinois teen collapses. My, my best friend in the world actually sent this to me. Dies during choir solo. Very sad. Seventeen-year-old Daniel Moshi loved to sing. And his talent for it was undeniable. It's an honor. Oh. To see my son sing to the Lord, praise him. It was an honor also that I was playing for him. Daniel's father, Loden, would sometimes accompany his son on the piano. But those days have now come to a tragic end. On Friday, the Leiden High School senior died after performing during a very special choir workshop event at Naperville North High School. He was singing, they had dinner, and he was just fine. And they told us that while he was doing his solo, he just passed out. Daniel's mother, Carolyn, says her son was rushed to the hospital, but doctors would later tell his family that he passed away. Carolyn says the DuPage County coroner told her that at this point, they have no clue why he died. His organs were all healthy. His heart, absolutely nothing wrong with him. Daniel's parents. God, man, it, it, it is everywhere, right? I mean, how sad is that? This, I, look, first thing we should say is we don't know if that's, the, if that's what caused it, right? That's, you have to say that. We don't know for sure. Certainly could be something else. But the body of evidence... The correlation, the amount, I mean, there's no denying that this is being ignored. And they just go, oh, another SADS, another SIDS, another unexplainable thing. 
Call it fibromyalgia. Why not? We can't explain these things, right? The reality is that there's no reason to expect this to make sense when you there's nothing wrong with the guy. Same thing's happening all over the place. Now, remember, when they keep trying to pretend, well, it's because, you know, the lockdowns, and they weren't able to go into get treatment. That's not this, because this kid didn't have a problem, right? The argument that they didn't get treatment would imply that they had something pre-existing that got worse while they were in lockdown. The, pra- the fact that there's no explainable point, is the- that is the clearest indication that it is an injection side effect. That's what previously the Pittsburgh Medical Examiner put on the record. Nobody wants to say it today, but it's the truth. When investigating vaccine problems, when there's no clear cause of death, that's usually an indication that it is the vaccine. That's what he said back in the beginning of this. So why don't we ask that question today? Because we're watching a criminal cover-up, guys. This is sad. And whether this is because of the injection or not, the, the reality is that there's something tearing through the youth of this country, as well as people that are exerting themselves, athletes and so on, and those that just are unlucky, and nobody wants to talk about it in the corporate discussion. It's horrifying. And here's more examples of the just excess death in this regard. It's everywhere. This is John Campbell. 17.1% more people are dying of some mysterious cause. And nobody on the news cares, as John explains. 17.1% more people dying in the first half of 2022 in Australia uh, than we would expect. And this is the same for other countries. And yet this isn't the top of the news every day. Many more people are dying. Now, the reason that's crazy for those who haven't connected that, that is unprecedented. There's, this has never happened where we, um, uh, without something that ends up being like, oh, well, here's the, the runoff in the water that was doing it. Or, and it's usually a certain area. We're talking about countries around the world. Countries the world around, guys, are seeing the same problem that almost perfectly correlates with how many injections they've given. It takes a special kind of stupid to not recognize what that is, or at least be able to investigate and ask that question. But the point is, regardless of what you think it is, it's unprecedented to see this kind of dramatic increase in excess death from year to year that nobody wants to talk about. I mean, to me, that almost proves that they know that this is something they don't want you to look at. Than we would expect in many countries, as we've just looked at, what is going on? What is the cause of this? We need to know this. And yet, barely anyone seems to be asking the question. I'm asking the question today, um, but you probably won't see the question being asked on your official uh, news media outlet today. And here, he's talking about the neonatal part of this, which is, I mean, it's the worst part of this is the effect on the children, the pregnant women, you know, the, the people that are scared. The parents trying to think they think they're protecting their children because they don't see the truth. And it's just it's 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 like giving them arsenic for their protection. That's how I see this. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that it's exactly, you know, I, for all I know, it's worse. I, I mean, I'm not even I'm kind of being facetious. But at this point, I'm so far past trying to play the what we see in front of us. The data we're seeing, the peer reviewed science, the experts standing up. This thing is dangerous. This is not just not that it's not safe for everyone. This is dangerous for all those that have been playing that line because they were told to about how it's, it's useful for some age categories because that's what YouTube said we're supposed to say. They are lying to you because they were told to. Maybe they didn't realize that it's dangerous for everybody. And even people like Maholtra are making that clear. Scotland, neonatal deaths are on the rise. 2021, an increase of 95 percent. 
Talk about unprecedented. A 95% increase in neonatal deaths in 2020 and in two months in 2022, recording 130% and 145% increase respectively. Talk about insulting. Authorities say it's not vaccine related, despite no investigation saying questioning mothers could cause vaccine hesitancy. I'll show you the actual article next. He's not making that up. Um, but at the moment, it's about two per thousand births. So tragic for the two, but low, basically, ish, lowish for two, two per thousand births. Now, in September, uh, 20, in, in, in March uh, 2020, that should be 2022, sorry. So September 2021, it was 4.9. March 2022, it was 4.6. <clears throat> so we can see the rates here are double um, what we would expect them to be and for all of 2021 the year taken as a whole again much higher um it was uh 3.9 here oh, these are all included by the way i'm just i'm running longer than i wanted to today so i want to make sure we don't take too much time on this but here's the next tweet next tweet from emma kenny neonatal baby deaths have doubled in scotland they are non-covid related but the nhs refuses to record if the mother was vaccinated that's the first part of this 4 a.m., she writes this. Not in the public interest, apparently. Babies who were alive for days were recorded as stillbirths to avoid a coroner's investigation. That's pretty incredible. Now, she, this, she's a, a uh, right, or, you know, for what this is this morning, blue checked. You know, not that that necessarily should mean anything to you because they're blue checked, but just in the context of the Twitterverse, that's supposed to mean they have credibility, right? So it's interesting. And here's what she says next. How much you want to bet she gets that blue check removed very quickly? Here's what she says next, and this is the article. This is two few hours later. To be clear, the COVID vaccine wasn't ruled out. Oh, here's the headline. COVID vaccines ruled out as cause of the neonatal death spike. To be clear, the COVID vaccine wasn't ruled out. Thank you, Emma Kenny, for pointing this out as a cause. They simply chose not to look. Now, you may think that sounds crazy. Like, how could that be possible? That seems like everything today, right? Let's look at the article. This is actually what it says. Headline, vaccines ruled out as neonatal death spikes. Now, first of all, people that just love to read headlines and argue because the Herald said so, therefore the truth, they're going to read that and argue, well, they did their research, they've investigated it, and they they ruled it out. That's what that means. That's not what happened. This is their article, guys. Public, First of all, same thing. Just in, just in case they read to the first paragraph, Public health experts ruled out any link between spikes and neonatal deaths and COVID vaccines without checking whether any of the infant's mothers had received the drug, the JAG, the JAG, that's interesting, JAB during pregnancy. Well, I take that back, actually. I think I just looked at the first part, but it does, it does go on to say without checking whether any of the infants had JAB, so JAG, but so I take that back. But nonetheless, here's what it says. First two paragraphs. Experts stressed that there was no plausible link between the unusually high levels of mortality among newborns in September last year and March this year to justify investigating maternal vaccination status. So they just looked at this and said, oh, that's ridiculous. There's no reason to look into the vaccination status, so we'll just exclude that. What else could it be? That's what we see everywhere. So by default, they just decide the vaccine is so safe and effective and good because CDC said so that it's not even plausible to look into and then say, we ruled it out. No, you didn't rule it out. You never looked into it. Public Health Scotland 
set, and remember, Public Health Scotland is one of the or, the organizations, the governments of Scotland that hid the data on their reports that showed you what was happening because it showed you what was happening, just like the UK. Public Health Scotland said its consultants had given careful consideration to the potential benefits and harms, not of the injection, but of carrying out such an analysis. Think about that. So they considered whether if we investigate the vaccine, what might that do? Who cares if it's important to investigate the fallout of whether that investigation creates hesitancy is irrelevant, especially if it turns out that it's dangerous, right? But this is their argument. The potential benefits and arms of carrying out this investigation as part of its probe into the deaths of the infants, but concluded that doing so because and concluded against doing so because, quote, it was not possible to identify a scenario that would have resulted in a change to public health policy. <laughs> think about what that says. So I don't know how you want to take that. You could look at it like they're arguing, well, they're not going to listen no matter what we say. So we might as well rule in the way that makes us not look like conspiracy theorists. Right. It's not possible to identify a scenario that would have resulted in a change to policy. So they're saying if we say this killed the babies, that scenario will not translate into policy change. So we don't identify how that's going to change anything. Therefore, we're going to say we won't look at it. I don't even know how this is. This is actually pretty mind blowing to me. They're just saying this. <laughs> it says, given that vaccination policy was already, quote, appropriately informed by good quality population level evidence and safety data. So because the CDC pointed at data that, or, that we claim is the full body, we're not even going to look into this connection. Think about how crazy that is. So the investigation that might find if it's dangerous, we don't need to do because this data is good enough. Is that science? Is that even investiga investigation? That's not investigation. That's the lack of scientific story. That is choosing to accept what's already been stated, disregarding current information. I, I'm just, this is actually pretty mind-blowing. Furthermore, quote, this is the crux of the, this is the point. The outcomes of such analysis, whilst being uninformative, how is that even possible, for public health decision-making, had the potential to be used to harm vaccine confidence at this critical time. So it's more important to get them to take the thing, even if it's dangerous, than it is to research whether it could be dangerous. See the point? At all costs, take the injection. That's always been the agenda. Now, you can read into that about why, whether there's something in there they want you to take, whether there's a means to an end for vaccine passport. I, I could guess it just like you can. But what we can see clearly is that this was about getting people injected literally at every cost possible, including waking everybody up to how dishonest they are. And they're still going. We're not even going to research it because, well, that could cause people to not take the thing that might actually be killing children. That we don't know because we choose not to look into it. I mean, this this is like, a, this is, I don't even think you could, if you wrote this as a movie, people would buy it. They'd be like, well, that's ridiculous. That wouldn't happen, right? As they all often say, truth is usually stranger than fiction. I mean, that this is crazy, but it's continuing to happen. Here's James Melville. There are over a thousand plus excess deaths per week in England and Wales, not COVID related. But I don't remember seeing the government having daily press briefings about that. Right? But they sure as hell love to point out anything they they the cases and the hype and stay alert, control the virus. That's funny how they used to say protect the NHS, right? It's just funny. Like the point is protecting the government. 
How do you ignore this? This is my point, guys. This is an, a cover-up of immense proportions that I think everybody sees. Now, here's the World Economic Forum making a point about what this is really about, in my opinion. And then we're going to transition this into, well, there's a point about, <clears throat> a few more points about the issues and the harm it's doing, but the overlap of, of the genetic part of this. But cancer is, in a, in a second, we'll talk about. <clears throat> but here's the World Economic Forum, the blue check. Make sure you don't fall for the World Economist Forum. Without concerted efforts to build gene therapy capacity across the world and to drive down costs, the global health divide will continue to widen. But this totally not what this thing is, though. It's not gene therapy. But we'll alternatively argue that that's everything else we want to do, including the mRNA directions, including other injections, but not this one, though. And we need to focus on that because the divide, the health divide, which, by the way, is about the vaccinations and the equity, will widen. But this one's not gene therapy, though. Just keep saying that, right? Quote of the day. Inclusive policymaking, proactive infrastructure development, like all about all the buzzwords. My point about this is this is what we're dealing with. This is gene therapy. That's not debatable, despite the fact they just say the other the otherwise. The reason they're focusing on this is because this has always been the agenda. Always. And here, accelerating global access to gene therapies, case studies from low and middle income countries. So we're going to pretend they just made this one shot. And they were like, OK, we're done. Now, everything else is going to be gene therapy. No, this is gene therapy. That's the direction they are taking. That's the point. And before we get into this article and what it says, let me remind you, by the way, I've been in, incorrectly saying this was a member of uh, 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 the an official from Merck. I'm not an official, but a, is it a CEO, I think, of Merck. It's actually from Bayer. I'll play this clip for you right now. I, I don't know why I got Merck from this, but nonetheless, it's, a per, it's an individual in the pharmaceutical industry during COVID-19 who is straight up telling you that these shots are gene therapy. And it shouldn't be hard to wrap your mind around. They're just playing games and definitions on this. But it is. Us, therefore, uh, we're really taking that leap, uh, us as a company buyer, uh, in cell and gene therapy, which to me is one of these examples where really we're going to make a difference, hopefully, uh, moving forward. There's some, uh, ultimately, the, uh, the mRNA vaccines uh, are an example for that uh, cell and gene therapy. I always like to say, if we had surveyed two years ago uh, in the public, would you be willing to take... Uh, uh, gene, th gene or cell therapy and inject it into your body, we would have probably had a 95% refusal rate. I think uh, this pandemic has also opened many people's eyes to, to innovation in the way that uh, was maybe not possible before. No, you're wrong. They just lied us, lied us into taking it, right? They didn't say, hey, gene therapy, and here's the, here's the benefits. They simply said it's not gene therapy, right? The point is, he, he, I don't even know how he's not hip to that conversation. Maybe he is, and that's his way of admitting it. I don't know. But what he's saying is what the reality is. This is obviously gene therapy. And he said before all this, he's surprised that anybody would have done it. He thought COVID-19 changed our perception. They just they, That's not what happened. They just pretended it wasn't gene therapy. But there you go. I mean, are we going to pretend like this pharmaceutical giant is, is just not aware? <laughs> he knows, and they're lying to you. That's the main point. And coming back to this, that's why this is the direction they, they're driving for everything. And this is... October 18th, it's a, again, it's using the idea that low-income places can't go. We need to make sure that they get four-star gene therapy for their benefit. Gene therapy is at the forefront of modern medicine. By making precise changes to the genome, the human genome, think bioeconomy, Biden's direction, these sophisticated technologies can potentially lead to one-time lifelong cures. 
This is their wet dream. This is what Fauci and everybody else have been talking about. Universal vaccines, universal vaccines, mRNA platforms. And eventually, and this is not hypothetical, it's what they've said, one shot for everything. That's why they want this platform, because they can just pump in a genetic code and pump out something new. They just did it with the bivalent without even change. They were watching them play experiments on your body right now. As of mid-2022, more than 2,000 gene therapies were in development worldwide, contributing to a global market value that is expected to reach nearly $20 billion by 2027. What you'll find is there's no mention of COVID shots or vaccines or mRNA, which is very telling, but I'll show you why you can see what this is. It says researchers are applying gene therapies to infectious and non-communicable diseases. HIV, sickle cell, that affects tens of millions of people around the globe most of whom live in low- and middle-income countries. It's a glaring absence not mention mRNA or the injection, but you know why that is what this is? Because that's what this is. COVID mRNA vaccine technology could be used to target HIV and sickle cell and cancer. Just read it for yourself. That's what they're pointing at. It is mRNA technology, and it is a vaccine. So how can those be gene therapy, but not the COVID shot? Oh, oops. We know it is, though. That's the point of why Bayer said that. They're just childishly hiding the reality from you. Now, why would they need to do that? Why would they need to hide from you what this is? Why would they need to lie to you about how it changes your DNA? Because there's something very nefarious going on. I don't know if we can hide from that anymore. It affects tens of millions of people around the globe, most of whom are low and middle-income countries. Without concerted efforts to build gene therapy capacity in low-resource settings, these transformative treatments are likely to remain out of reach for communities carrying the highest disease burdens, further widening the global health divide. So using people and inequity, like every other thing you can point at right now, the ju- and then using that as justification to experiment in the human population and force these things on people that don't want them by claiming they deserve them. <laughs> sustainably, sustainably driver gene therapies in, uh, why did I highlight that? It says the overview of what is required to sustainably deliver, excuse me, gene therapies in LL, uh, low the LMIC was the low and middle income countries. Right? So that's, the point is br- giving these to places that like the, the countries around the world, Africa and or continent, excuse me, and countries within Africa and different places that they want to force these on. Ask the people there. They're some of the most resistant to these things. And they're acting like that's why we need to push this forward for them. But again, just read this for yourself. If you want to read into this is from February 2021. It's all about mRNA injections and gene therapy. Now here are from the the uh, the groups involved with the uh, what the group what is it right here? Oh oh this this you, you guys know this by the way I forgot I included this this was just in general the people involved with the program but obviously the World Economic Forum but you can go through and see all the people involved with this right we're talking about the gene therapy direction and all their partners are exactly you guys already know most of this for those that don't though you can see Pfizer and their partners you can see Moderna you can see Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation right so it's all in the same direction of the gene therapy concept and yet they're arguing that's not what this is now in the context of how we can see this a few ways to look at this causing problems as Dr. Ryan Cole for example points out that this is causing lots of cancers in his practice seeing these things explode throughout his practice I think this is the one. We know those signals from SARS-CoV-1. We've seen this in, in cat coronavirus vaccines where cats ended up with this horrible inflammation swelling of the stomach and about 30... Many scientists are beginning to... No, sorry. I, th- I forget which one that was. I think it was... Let's see. 
Oh, I mean, I, let me play that one I was starting with then. Maybe that is the one. Many scientists are... Be Not that one. Sorry. <laughs> this one. We know those signals from SARS-CoV-1. We've seen this in, in cat coronavirus vaccines where cats ended up with this horrible inflammation swelling of the stomach and about 30% of the cats died. So we know once you prime somebody with an antibody and that antibody is good, great. But if you prime them with an antibody that is not good, sit back and pull out the popcorn because we're going to be seeing something horrific happening immunologically to a population down the road. The honest answer is we don't know to what degree, but we do know the history of this, and history is one of the best teachers that we have. No, that's not the one. Son of a gun. Well, you guys, I'm try, I forget which clip it was. I've got so many clips of Dr. Ryan Cole and, and other people, but the point of him telling you that in his practice, he is seeing an explosion of cancers and other problems. And a lot, any doctor on the record that's willing to be honest with you is telling you the same thing. I was, I was just quickly looking to see if I could find it. Regardless, the bottom line is that we can see an overlap here. And the real point is not just the connection with cancer specifically, but rather that these injections are increasing your risk to everything. Any problems you have that are maybe, maybe you got some active, you know, too many free radicals, all of it, suddenly that becomes a cancer because the injection spurs that into action. That's what we're seeing. Whether those are the right terms to use or not. The reality is that this is everywhere. I don't think I see it. Oh, well, I'm going to have to find that again because Dr. Ryan Cole has been pretty outspoken about this from the very beginning and deserves to be remembered as people calling this out. But my point is, like the collapsing athletes discussion or SIDS or SADS or anything else, the baffling brain disease in Canada, right? You can see endless amounts of peer-reviewed science showing you that it at least could be the injection. And yet all they do is go, we're confused, we're baffled, we don't know. A global epidemic of cancer among people younger than 50 could be emerging October 17th. Now, sure, maybe it's because of other things. Maybe it's because of 5G. Maybe it's because of industrial runoff and pollution and military men. It could be a number of things, right? Glyphosate in the air. It could be all sorts of things. But the vaccine, the injection, is playing a part in this. That's the reality. Based on the data and the evidence and the peer-reviewed science, they don't want to talk about. But a new review of cancer registry records 44 countries found that the incident of early onset cancers is rising rapidly. The review's authors say the upswing in younger adults is happening in part because more sensitive testing in some cancer types, such as thyroid cancer. One says the spike is due to an unhealthy stew of risk factors that are probably working together, which some known and others, like it's just all up in the air and undefined. And of course, there's mentions about the idea of uh, not testing because lockdowns and so on. Again, you read it for yourself. My point is that the, nobody wants to ask the question whether this is in part because of the side effects that are causing you to have increased risk to everything we're talking about. In particular, cancers. Oh, I forgot I included this. Jill Biden, at the same time, weirdly enough, suddenly predicts, because she's an expert, right? A wave of cancer diagnosis after COVID-19. Jill Biden? Actually, I shouldn't even say that. I'm not even f familiar with her background. Does she have a scientific, scientific or doctor background? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. But I, she doesn't strike me as someone that's that very intelligent. But that's just my personal opinion. But the point is, predicting cancer diagnosis, very prescient. Right? It's weird. Now, suddenly, we're all pointing at cancer as they're talking about a cancer mRNA vaccine right now. Jill Biden on Monday, predicted this. There'll be an increasing number of cancer. On what basis, right? What is she looking at? Is there a study she found? Or she just woke up one day and go, I think cancer's going to come up, right? I mean, it, it just, it's very strange. 
But again, I'll include the Swiss Policy Research article that continues to update. It was updated September 25th, oh, 2021, but it still updates when they add new things. And it says, it has been shown that up to 50% of vaccinees, and we reported this many times, and the studies are all linked in here, peer-reviewed, up to 50% of those that get injected can induce what they call lymphocytopenia, which is immune dysregulation. And one of the main points they connect this with is cancer. And you can read it all for yourself. The reality being, and this is the, the, this is called cancer COVID vaccines and cancer, that it creates a situation that is a perfect growing breeding ground for cancers as well as other things. And it's all very clear. But that also creates a situation for other things to happen. But nobody wants to ask this as we see this happening. Rather in the corporate discussion, I should say. Here's the British Medical Journal. COVID-19. Norway investigates 23 deaths in frail elderly patients after vaccination. It's very, it's just, the, first of all, don't forget. In the community document, as of September, it still says, even got the number remember this time. Boom, it still says right here. Use in frail patients with comorbidities, right? That's what we're talking about. Frail patients. And that's generally comorbidities are pretty frequent in frail patients. Basically, that's that category tends to mean elderly. Frail patients with comorbidities, right? As always, with most of this, there's limited information on the safety for those people. Yet they focused on them first. And a lot of them died, right? Oh, well, they were old anyway. They would say, okay, well, maybe, or maybe they got forced into nursing homes and forced on ventilators. And a lot. That, that's what actually happened. The evidence continues to show. But their document as of this last month says they don't know if it's safe. So here we are. Norway investigates 23 deaths in that exact category. So shouldn't we go probably seeing as how we don't even know if it's safe? Well, no. I mean, not, not this article, but the general discussion. But here's what it says. And this is January 23, 2021. It's not new. Gut microbiome and COVID-19 mRNA injections. It says recently, and this is 2021, in Norway, 23 frail vaccinated elders died due to common adverse reactions like fever, nausea, diarrhea. That's pretty important, isn't it? It's funny how that's not getting mentioned in the conversation. If so, we're talking about elderly now dying from the mild to moderate symptoms. Fever, nausea, like the, the symptoms that the injection literally caused. Doesn't that matter? Apparently not. Since human mucosal tissues of the gut are involved in immune response to COVID virus, adverse reactions could be due to dysbiosis of the gut uh, commensals that change with age and personalized nutrition. There's a point that I'll make about this next. The gut uh, microbe composition of individuals with a high intake of protein and animal fat, like the Western diet, is generally um, generally dominated by bacteroids driven enterotype which is the largest phylum of the gut microbiome community some genera of bacteroid how do you say that bacteroidets stimulate micro uh, macrophages and and monocytes to secrete a complex array of pro-inflammatory cytokines neurotoxins and toxic protolytic peptides in the plasma. Secretion of these cytokines and toxins result in aberrant immune responses involving elevated levels of circulating cytokines and immune cell hyperactivation, thus contributing to abnormal inflammatory reactions due to cytokine storms. 
That was our topic right in the beginning of all this. Therefore, during vaccination, rectifying gut microbiome dysbiosis with prebiotic and probiotic oral supplementation might be a solution for the management of COVID-19 vaccine-induced adverse reactions. Great. So now instead of just not giving them something they don't need, we'll just give them something else to deal with the problems that it causes. Pretty typical with the Western medical system. But what's interesting to me is the conversation here about what this means and how this overlaps with what might be happening here. Here is a study about this exact topic in regard to the antibiotics-driven gut microbiome in regard to immunity to vaccines in humans. Now, what it says is microbiome loss impairs antibody response in subjects with low pre-existing immunity. Antibiotics treatment leads to enhanced inflammatory signatures in the blood. Hold on a second. See, I, you know what? I did have this backward. That's what it was. Oh, I, I knew that was going to happen. Did you see what just happened? I don't know if you caught that, but dang it. I forget what this was now. For some crazy reason, the Daily Mail, if left up on any page, will revert back to their homepage and not give you the option to go back to what it was. I just find it to be so silly. I think it's intentional because they're always changing their content and updating articles, not telling you that, like with the everyone we point out. But what's frustrating is what I usually do is save the title and search for it and go back so I can roll back. But now I just lost the article, so I don't even know what it was. Very frustrating. Well, in any case, this was, I believe, was supposed to be here. I think I just mixed. That's what I was leading to this. Anyway, so here's the point from Express. Crisps drive atherosclerosis that can lead to dangerous blood clots. So again, it's not the shot. It's eating potato chips. Now, does that have an effect? I'm sure it does to some degree. But instead of looking at what is causing blood clots, we just grasp at whatever else we can assume at. October 15th. Now, down here it says, while crisps can drive processes that trigger blood clots, that also added that there's currently no research that firmly ties crisps, crisps chips to the gel-like clumps. Great. So way down at the bottom of the article, they go, we can't prove any of this, though. The only way to find out if the crisp specifically is through a clinical trial. So you could say that at this stage, it's kind of like a smoking gun. How would you even say that? That's the opposite. We have no evidence. We haven't studied it at all. How is it a smoking gun? However, the expert recommended eating crisp as part of a healthy lifestyle to stay on the safe side. What? So we're talking about crisp causing blood clots, and your argument is we should eat them, though, anyway, for to be safe? That's strange. Now, see, I think I, I'm pretty sure I lost an article here. I'm, you know, it might have been the one that I just wasn't sure about. But regardless, the point here, guys, in this overlap was the idea that the microbiome is, is an important factor in how this is being played into the way your body's reacting to these things. And this study itself is talking about whether that was the case because of vaccination and the microbiome and whether we should deal with that in a way that could stop you from having adverse reactions, Right. Make sure I didn't know it's just not there. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty certain that I, I closed something in this that I needed that connected the idea of the microbiome to cancer. Son of a gun. Pretty sure that I closed the page. Oh, well. See, and, and there's exactly why that happens, guys. Exactly why it's important for them, I would argue, to remove those from your view. But whatever, I'm just going to move forward. The bottom line, though, is either way, first of all, that this is a way to ignore the blood clot issue that's happening by claiming Chris can cause that. This one was simply pointing out another example of vaccination problems that are being overlapped with something else. And the overarching point, though, was how cancers are there. And again, being overlapped as 
anything other than the injections or the problems that are there. Which brings us to ethical skeptic. Skeptic is pointing out that they're moving. And we've already shown you this in an earlier show, I believe. But the underlying cause of death. And manipulating the data and moving it so things that were actually cancer or vice versa or COVID. This is absolutely dishonest. There's nothing that makes any sense about this when they want to making it COVID and vice versa. This is what you read this for yourself and go through the data. Again, we've already shown you this from before. What we observed to be an anomalous compression in the cancer reporting lag was not a change in reporting at all. The CDC did not make the system perform better. They were fraudulently shifting cancer underlying cause of death to COVID. Look at that. Here's another example of hiding these things. The unrecognized sign that your headache might actually be a rare life-threatening brain bleed. Right. So remember in the beginning when Dr. Bakhti was saying, if you have a headache, rush to the hospital because it could be a blood clot. And they called you all conspiracy theorists. Well, now they're coming back. They're saying the same thing now, but not connecting with the injection. How does that make sense? Everywhere this is happening. Now, meanwhile, after everything we talked about today, they're still treating the uninjected like pariahs in many examples, like the colleges. Here is Disney giving a discount to people for 2023 that have injections, which essentially you could argue that that means they're, as they point it, charging unvaccinated guests more. So that, that's what's happening. Here's an example of the SES volunteers who don't have two of the shots that don't matter right now, right? And they're being stopped from responding to Victoria's flood the, the, the crisis of a flood where people need help, but these people aren't allowed to help. So there's not enough help in general, but it's because they're not safe, right? Because we know it stops transmission, right? Well, no, it doesn't. So why exactly does that mean anything? See, they're adhering to a narrative, not it's doctrine, not science. If it doesn't stop transmission, how exactly does them having two shots do anything other than if you, in their narrative, help them, even though we know that's not what's happening. Why would they be stopped from helping other people if it doesn't stop transmission anyway? See the point? Obviously. Here's Jeffrey Tucker pointing out, you simply won't believe the New York Times, urging people, oops, to eat outdoors again. It's all coming back. Limit party size and even avoiding the uninjected. That's what the New York Times is literally writing as of two days ago. Avoid the uninjected, right? Well, everybody's able to spread it. In fact, people with injections are spreading it more than anybody, provably using their data. Now, here is an example of where this whole leads to. What's interesting about this coverage is the BBC is sort of going about this like saying that China is, you know, bad guy. But at the same time, you can't help but feel a level of like, we should be doing this too. This is, this is China's zero COVID policy. Now, this is coming from the BBC, so I wouldn't be surprised if they made it all up. <laughs> That's literally how crazy bad the BBC is. Regardless of that, understand that this is essentially what they want to create justifying that we need to do this because everybody's dying from even though it's not happening. But this is the future they're building with the Great Reset and everything else. Quite remarkable just how much it's taken to travel between what used to be two of the most international cities in the world. Beijing right now, nothing short of a digitized fortress. And although things are heightened because of Congress, it does give you a bit of a snapshot of what life is like in China at the moment. So very dominated by zero COVID and its rules. In Beijing itself, this is now part of everyday life. It entirely dictates the ordinary lives of ordinary people. 
like Mrs Guan, who can't visit her hometown for fear of her child missing school. If you travel out of Beijing, you could be home quarantined for seven days, she says. But we only have seven days holiday. There's a sense people are restless if resigned. We need to queue for some time, every three days. <laughs> and that must sometimes feel a bit frustrating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but tempers are fraying, patience is thin. This recently from Shenzhen province. People under lockdown, cracking, clashing. And it's not just lives held back, but livelihoods too. The consumer economy crippled. And there's record young people out of work. Gigi lost her job earlier this year. She wanted her identity hidden, her voice distorted. Such is the risk here of questioning government. She's not against COVID rules. Oh, so similar to right in Ukraine or the United States or in Germany or anywhere else, right? No, it's only China, right? It's just, it's exactly what's happening all over, right? We are all being persecuted for our opinions right now. Just painfully aware of the impact. I think there will be... Right, like they can't tell who that is. I mean, I, 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 I feel like BBC is making this up. I'm just, I, I've no, nothing to base that on except the history of BBC making stuff up. <laughs> but are we going to pretend like with facial recognition and so on, like you can see her face? I mean, it's just stupid. A period of suffering. The party congress has proposed goals. And there will definitely be some difficult times. The goals that we may have achieved in one to two years or three to four years before may not be achieved at this speed now. Criticising the rules here is seen as akin to criticising the government. For top leaders gathering this week, a victory narrative is needed. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> it's just, look at how, how ridiculous it is for someone like the BBC or the UK government or the US government, which, which is what's guiding their hand, to say something like that. Like, that's not exactly what's happening right now here as well. It's, it's just so stupid. But let's jump into, in this case, the... This first of all, the the Pfizer clip of what that we show you the tracker all the time. So this is Pfizer responsible for lying to you about the things that their drugs do, and God only knows why that's not the most relevant thing in the world as we're dealing with a Pfizer injection that's being criticized for hurting people. A history of crime, and we've listed this to you many times, but it's more it has more impact when you listen to the U.S. government reporting that to you. Approved uses. It is for this conduct that Pfizer will pay the largest criminal punishment ever in a healthcare fraud case, a criminal fine of $1.195 billion, together with a forfeiture of $105 million. Among the factors we considered in calibrating this severe punishment was Pfizer's recidivism. This is the fourth Pfizer settlement with the Justice Department this decade. Recidivism essentially means that they continue to be repeat offenders. That's what that means. So the fact is they're charging them so much because they just keep breaking the law. That's what he just said. And guess what? They're still doing it right now. In fact, I argue that's exactly why they use them, just like they use other criminal and moderate rebels around the world because they're immoral, because they can be used like they think, right? Do not care about what's right and wrong, not care about hurting people. That's why they use the groups that they do. That's why they arm Osama bin Laden. That's why they arm ISIS and arm these people we're talking about. Like, that's what I mean, you could you could disagree with whether that's how it ended. But don't forget, they did work with Osama bin Laden in the beginning. They did work with Saddam Hussein in the beginning. I argue they did the entire time. But either way you look at it, that's why they work with those people. Because of that exact point. That's the point. It's the only way to look at it. First, in 2002, Pfizer paid $49 million 
to resolve allegations that it had failed to report to CMS best prices for its drug-approved uses. It is for this conduct that Pfizer will pay the largest criminal punishment ever in a healthcare fraud case, a criminal fine of $1.195 billion, together with a forfeiture of $105 million. Among the factors we considered in calibrating this severe punishment was Pfizer's recidivism. This is the fourth Pfizer settlement with the Justice Department this decade. First, in 2002, Pfizer paid $49 million to resolve allegations that it had failed to report to CMS best prices for its drug Lipitor. Second, in May 2004, Pfizer paid $430 million, including a $240 million criminal fine for the off-label promotion of the drug Neurontin. Third, in April 2007, Pfizer and its pharmacy and Upjohn division, the same division involved here, pled guilty and entered into a deferred prosecution agreement for payment of kickbacks and for off-label promotion of the drug genotropin. That time, Pfizer paid $34.7 million. My it just continues. It goes on and on and on. They have lied about what they do. They've lied about what it, what it doesn't do. They've lied about working with the government. They've lied about every possible thing they can get held accountable for. Repeatedly. That's the recidivism. They continue to break the law. Just like with Wells Fargo, they simply factor in paying millions of dollars as a cost of doing business. Right? So when they make billions of dollars that year and pay out a fraction of that, that's a success for them. So they know they can break the law to exponentially increase their revenue. They continue to do so. This is showing them they can get away with it. Nobody gets held accountable. Look at Purdue Pharma or anybody else. Nobody goes to jail for these things. They slap them on the wrist and make them pay a fraction of their profits. You know who gets benefit of that? The government's involved with it. That we are watching. Our, this is a game. Nobody about these people don't care about holding them accountable. If all they do is charge them with, with for money. These things translate to death and hospitalization. And all they do is say, give me a fraction of your profits you made while you put those people in bed in the hospital. That's it's gross, man. It makes me skin crawl. And here is exactly what we're talking about. What you're going to watch is a very sad clip from the Philippines before you even watch the clip. This is a it's called it's an injection called Dengvaxia. Sanofi Pasteur. This injection was approved in the United States after the clip you're about to see. 160 children died, provably, according to this, not according to this video, but according to the reports. My, I say that because I'll show you next that they investigated apparently 600. Regardless, this is what happened. These videos of parents being taken to see their dead children were live-streamed on Facebook by supporters of the Public Attorney's Office, which provides free legal services to poor Filipinos. It's led the charge against Deng Vaksha, conducting its own autopsies on children whose deaths it blames on the vaccine.
In fact, medical experts say that there's no evidence to suggest Dengvaxia caused these children's deaths and that the public attorney's office isn't even qualified to conduct autopsies. But no amount of criticism can dilute the impact of these videos. It's very visual. They would open organs and say, oh my God, this is bleeding. The brain is bleeding. The heart is bleeding. This is what happens because the child was vaccinated. This visual images, though we know that they are wrong, remains implanted on the mothers who have seen them. The public attorney's office, which has not responded to our interview requests, has investigated the deaths of 160 children, the so-called Dengvaxia victims. Renzel Castillo was number 153. His mother, Mary Ann, along with the other parents, won't let people forget the kids they lost. Now, it certainly sounds familiar, doesn't it? The organs bleeding, the brain bleeding. That's all stuff we're seeing right now. And you can't just dismiss the correlation that they have the same symptoms, the same problems. The bottom line is this is an important story. And it overlaps with exactly what we're dealing with today. And the main point of this is the vaccine could put previously on. This is again, this is what it's come to after the fact, right? That's an old report. Even the program was stopped. It reads when Sanafi Pasteur themselves advised the government, the, the Philippines government, that the vaccine itself that they 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 approved for children could put previously uninfected people at a somewhat higher risk of severe case of exactly what they were meant to protect them from. Dengue fever, through what they told you, was antibody-dependent enhancement. Well, look at that. We've been here before. In late November 2017, the DOH, the Department of Health in Philippines, suspended the school-based vaccination program because of this. The DOH subsequently banned the vaccine's use and sale in the Philippines. The scare caused by the controversy has been suggested as a factor in the country's loss of confidence in vaccines and low immunization rates. Well, of course, because you killed people, because you gave them something that increased their risk instead of the opposite. You've you approved it for children and then only found out that it hurt them afterward. That either means that you knew it didn't didn't tell them or didn't do it proper study or some I guess in some cases that just happens. I don't buy that truly. But the reality is that this was the opposite of what you sold it as. And it led to antibody-dependent enhancement. Why wouldn't they stand up and go, well, I'm going to be more skeptical about these in the future? It says resulting in an infectious disease crisis in the country. Right. So, of course, because them not doing the thing that's hurting them translates into more disease. Certainly a self-serving argument. Sanofi Representative Thomas Triumph, quote, was forced to apologize during the House of Representatives hearing on the Dengvaxia dengue vaccine. Down here it says, the 2000, in 2018, after this, the same injection, guys, after this happened, was approved in Europe. In 2019, it was approved in the United States. Only for use in people who have been infected with dengue virus before and who live in the areas where the infection is endemic. This is designed for children. That's who this is for. 
So their argument is, well, if you've had it before, then it can't cause antibody dependent enhancement. Okay, sure. That's not even true, by the way. Certainly reduces the risk, I would argue. But is that even what actually happened entirely? Do we know that's the only thing that it caused? Does antibody dependent enhancement tend to make the brain bleed? That's encephalitis. That's what I, I mean, I would argue that's what it, what it possibly is. The bottom line here is that they just continue to use it anyway. That's mind blowing. After this is approximately 800,000 school children received this injection and benefit from the protection it grants them, they claim, against dengue fever. However, around 10% of those 800,000 had not had dengue fever before and therefore at risk. So, this is just the, that's apparently the end of the story. I mean, right now we know that that's part of the problem with the injection here with COVID 19, but it's not the only problem. Now, that doesn't therefore mean that's the same case, but what we just watched and the information you can read about this story, that, that, that's not the end of the conversation. The antibody-dependent enhancement is the site, that, that's the symptom. In the Philippines, the Dengvaxia controversy has contributed to overall vaccine hesitancy because of the heightened concerns about the safety. Right, so they frame that as a way to say that's bad. But that's that you, Basically, you should say, they're rightly concerned about the safety because of this terrible side effect. And it translated to them being rightly concerned. While concerns about vaccine safety are usually irrational, what kind of dumb statement is that? Whoever wrote this in there, in the case of this, in, in this injection, it was based in evidence. How in the world can you make a statement like most vaccine safety concerns are ir irrational? What a political statement. Most of the deaths were caused by internal bleeding in the heart, lungs, and brain which are symptoms of hemorrhagic dengue fever. Now, you could argue that, that that's what antibody-dependent dependent enhancement would be, that you get, you get sick and it's dramatically worse than before, so that, that would explain that. But regardless, there's more to the story than just antibody-dependent enhancement. A study published by the University of the Philippines College of Medicine directly attributes the dengue-vaxia controversy as one of the major factors for why, guess what, Philippine people, Filipino people were resistant to the COVID-19 injection. Well, they probably saved their lives then. But the overall point, though, regardless of whether it was only antibody-dependent enhancement or not, is the, is, is the general overlap with what we're dealing with today. What this shows you is, regardless of what the experts tell you when it's pushed out, you have every right to say no. Because it could turn out, even if they thought they were right, that they could be wrong. That alone is enough. Approved for use in individuals 9 to 16 years of age. In the United States. This is 2020. My God. Now, as Kitty Crusader points out, they, in fact, investigated 600 kids, and you can read about it in NPR, that whittled down to 160. So who knows how that actually played out. Regardless, this is a horrifying story that definitely has an overlap. Now, here is the World Health Organization. Dr. Tedros here, Mr. Dr. Tedros, telling you they're about the global plan for your health. And this is um, almost exactly what we were saying was going to happen in cult conspiracy theorists before, and now they're openly saying it. This is from Rebel News, but shared by Bernie's tweets. Here's what he has to say. The theme of this year's World Health Summit is taking global health to a new level. It sounds great. Which, which by the way, in its definition, undermines or removes sovereignty, right? If you're going to address health as a global concept then that guarantees that there'll be choices that are made that will not everyone will agree with. So therefore you are seeding yourself there. 
sovereignty in regard to individual nations is something they want to do away with. And that is very clear. And they argue it's for your best interest. Do we really believe that? Does anybody believe that? But what does it mean? Let me suggest three things. First, taking, a global, health, taking global health to a new level means we need a new global agreement or global accord based uh -huh. on a shared vision. And there it is. And that is the global accord, the, the treaty with teeth. So what they're basically talking about in flowery language is their their desire to create an accord that gives them the power to make countries do what they say they have to, of course, only when there's a pandemic, which apparently seems to be forever now going forward, forever, whether it's the lasting effects of this or that, there were an emergencies and the overlaps with the next monkeypox emergency. Remember, there's, an, there, there's a declared monkeypox emergency in the United States right now. Still, you want to explain that for me? This is why they just it's just we'll just keep them going. We're always in a state of emergency. Welcome to the state of govern of emergency governance. It's the biosecurity state. So that's what he's talking about. And it's a point where they can argue that they feel there's a country that has an outbreak, even though they didn't say that. Therefore, we have to go in there militarily to help them. That's I'm not even making this up. That's what they've already argued. Now, imagine how people like the U.S. government could abuse that with places like Iran or anywhere else. And, and to flesh that out one more point, realize that's what they stated, that what it could take is an outside country arguing that they think somebody is dealing with something. And that's enough for the World Health Organization to justify going into that country. I don't know how that possibly makes sense to anybody outside of these technocrats. At exactly the moment when the world needed to come together to face this common threat as one, the COVID-19 pandemic has been characterized by lack of cooperation and coordination. When we can only face shared threats with a shared response, based on a shared commitment to solidarity and equity. That's what the pandemic accord or pandemic agreement that countries are now negotiating is all about. An agreement between the nations of the world to work together, not in competition with each other, to prepare for and respond to epidemics and pandemics. In 1968, at the height of the Cold War, countries across ideological divide came together to sign the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. Today, it remains as relevant as ever. In the same way, the global accord now being negotiated will underpin the global approach to epidemics and pandemics for decades and maybe even centuries to come. And that's why we call it generational agreement. I need to be very clear. This accord or agreement is being negotiated by countries, for countries, and will be adapted by, by and implemented by countries in accordance with their own national laws. Well, that translates to, uh-oh, hold on, making sure I didn't just screw up Rockfin, hit the wrong button on this other page, make sure, oh well, let me, can somebody let me know in the chat whether Rockfin is still live, I'll circle back if I have to, we're hoping to gather the medical records of everyone in the world, that's an actual quote from the Mayo Clinic representative at the World Health Summit, that's actually what they just said. 
That is a conspiracy theory if said by me or anybody else. It just it's it's just comical how ridiculous this gets on how regularly we get proven to be right. A lot of a lot of people in this field. I'm posting something really quickly that I think is important in the chat. So why are they hoping to gather everybody's medical records? And why is that something that's acceptable to say? Isn't that a problem? What about medical freedom? Right? I mean, this is exactly the point. The Mayo Health Clinic, Mayo Clinic entered a 10-year strategic partnership with Google in 2019, where Google, Google Cloud will secure and store Mayo Clinic's data, apply AI and cloud computing to healthcare. Well, I certainly don't want this. I don't know why this is something. That, I mean, the point is, this is what they're building toward. And now they just stop pretending like this is conspiracy theory and just jump to the point where they say, well, of course, this is what we should all want. You know, sort of like saying, well, vaccine passports are a conspiracy theory in 2020. And anybody saying that is a dangerous conspiracy theorist and should be stopped. And then a few months later in 2021, anybody saying COVID-19 vaccine passports are, are wrong, are dangerous conspiracy theorists and must be stopped. Those are the same people that would shout you down because they were told it was fake news. And 30 seconds later are shouting you down because you don't allow them to be pushed. That's the kind of thing we keep seeing. Here is Senator Alex Antic exposing in Australia that people have been duped by the health officials because what they're really doing is operating under an international treaty written by the WHO. That, I argue, is happening everywhere. We just happen to see it clearly in this case in Australia. April this year during Senate estimates, I put it to the Chief Medical Officer of the Commonwealth Department of Health, Professor Paul Kelly, that these COVID injections didn't actually stop transmission. And he told me that wasn't a true statement. You can watch the clip here. There has been a change in the biosecurity um, arrangements. Um, uh, it is now under the Biosecurity Act, uh, a requirement of anyone leaving Australia, regardless of their visa status. Biosecurity Act, <laughs> right on the nose. Uh, to, be, to provide uh, evidence of vaccination if asked by an official. Why? Uh, that, that is under the biosecurity legislation. It was a decision of government. So I'm asking you, why Why is that a requirement? So Somebody can ask that question, surely. Yes, uh, and I, I provided provided advice to the minister to make that decision. Uh, yes, and, and, and what was that? Right, right. So answer the question. Like, it's so funny how clearly he's saying, explain why that's the choice, and he just won't answer. And he doesn't. Advice. Uh, the, the advice was, was actually in relation to, to ex the people exiting Australia was in relation to our, our obligations under the international health regulations. There it is. Okay, so you're, the international health regulations are creating policy for Australia and whether or not Australians are allowed to leave the country. And his question is simply, what is the science that makes that relevant? Why is that the case? Whether we're talking about transmission or whatever else. Here's what his answer. For protecting other countries. Um, we for protecting have... other countries. And so just, just on that, what, what, what is the science behind that decision, given that we know... And I think we would all accept this, that transmission is irrelevant when vaccinated. You, right. you, are, you are effectively as infectious as you were if you were not vaccinated. Well, that's not a true statement. Well, that is a true statement. That's agreed to by almost all experts. Uh, it's not a true statement, Senator. I so so, so, so what, what degree of transmission that. is, what, what, what degree of benefit are you, give, are you given by vaccination in terms of dampening down your transmission for want of a better way of putting it? There, there, there is evidence about that, But Senator, what? How much? Wow. How much? Is it 1%? Is it 2%? Uh, 
I'll, I'll provide that on notice. No, you can tell me right Senator now. Senator My God. This has agreed to provide well, on notice. Well, how can we not Please know the answer to that right now? Exactly. Witnesses. Because I mean, Australian citizens are being stopped from going overseas for this. It should be a fairly simple question. Right. You tell me you literally can't tell me how much it protects you like that. I mean, you could at least estimate. The point is that they know that the number will not sway people to do it because it's basically nothing. If and that's even a manipulation of the information. Think about how crazy that is. So he's just simply going, tell me what the science is. And he says, well, it's, and the, to go back a quick step, when he talks about the stopping transmission point, can you believe they just said that? He, the, the, we even It's even been pretended like it was a new revelation, which I have, I'm forced to dissect in regard to the Pfizer just admitted that's not the truth, but it still broke through the public conversation at that point, that it doesn't stop transmission and that they knew that in the studies, right? However, that really went down. The truth is that they, it was posted and it's always been public information. But, but all Pfizer, Moderna, government, media all lied to you about it and stated that it did stop transmission. Right. The point, though, is that he says that in this hearing and they go, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. These are the people literally making policy and got, and, and the health administration or the administ officials. And they don't know that or they're lying to you. You see my point, guys? This is madness, where either these people are supposed to be the ones who know what's going on and literally have no clue other than what they're told, or they're involved with a massive cover-up. Pretty incredible. I mean, let, me go, let, me watch, let me go back just a little bit. You, you, are, you are effectively as infectious as you were if you were not vaccinated. Well, that's not a true statement. Sir. Well, that is a true statement. That's agreed to by almost all experts. Uh, it's not a true statement, Senator. I so, can so, I can so, so, what, what degree of transmission that. is? What, what, what degree of benefit are you give, are you given by vaccination in terms of dampening down your transmission, for want of a better way of putting it? There, there, there is evidence about that. But Senator. what? How much? How much notice. is it? One percent? Is it two percent? I'll provide that on notice. No, you can tell me right Senator now. Senator Antic, the witness has agreed to provide well, on notice. Well, how can we not know the answer to that right now? Harass the witnesses. Because I mean, Australian citizens are being stopped from going overseas for this. It should be a fairly simple question. I'll, I'll provide that information on notice. Righto. Now, later, uh, he confirmed to me in writing that uh, the injections had a modest effect on transmission, which really uh, is another way of saying none. And, get, and you know why that's insulting? So you have to you have to take time to go back and write modest. That's not an answer. What is the number? And so that points out that they either don't know or they write modest because it's like half a percent or whatever. That's the, that's the follow up. You could have said modest sitting there in that chair, but that's the point. He didn't want to be in public record right there saying that because modest does not sell people on getting a dangerous injection. Can't can't miss the criminality here. And just yesterday, Pfizer executive Janine Small has now admitted to the EU Parliament what we knew all along, that, that Pfizer didn't actually test the vaccine for prevention of transmission. Well, good. It, it, see, I, to this, I give this guy more credit than most because at least he uh, understands the full picture there. What we've already known. She simply said it out loud, what has already been proven and discussed and documented. So good for him. I'm not even very familiar with this guy, but I'm going to look into him more just because he seems to be hip to what's going on at the, the very least. But my God, think about how wild that is. You can't even state it. And then when you do come back, all you say is modest. How do you miss how criminal this is? Now, here is the clip I played in the beginning. This is hopeful. Again, I don't know whether this is political blustering or not, but the fact that he's stating this, and it does seem that there's some genuine intention here. I, I'm very hopeful. 
Not to say that we should be. I just am. I'm choosing to be very hopeful about this, that this is going to come to pass. Whether it does effectively hold these people accountable or not is another question. But this is being publicly displayed right now, questioning whether or not this is the right thing to do, questioning whether there's been a coordinated effort to make this come to pass and the, and crimes against humanity that have ensued because of the injections. This is a big deal. It's become clear that people in this country and globally have been steamrolled. It is also clear that it has been coordinated globally. It is also clear that it has been integrated, not just over six months, not just over two and a half years, but it has been planned over decades. The changes to legislation in this country were done so that they could control doctors and people. But the people are waking, and it's thanks to people like Dr Altman and all the presenters here today, thanks to people like Senator Babette and Craig Kelly. We know and we knew that this is all bullshit and that we've been had. But we are going to hound you down, the people that are guilty. We are going to hound you down and hold you accountable. And we will expose your global agenda so that the people of Australia can be free in the future. Because I love my kids and I'm looking forward to my grandkids. And we are going to save this country. Thank you. Interesting. Let's see how it plays out. Right? I'm not going to be overly hopeful in the sense that, you know, we'll, I, we'll see how this plays out. I sure as hell hope that people are held accountable and it's not just one side of the paradigm, right? Now here, to transition this over into where this is all being, like the, the big part of this is that all of the stuff we just discussed, to if not entirely, but at the very least to a large degree, is being used as a vehicle to drive you in the direction of the Great Reset Agenda. There's no dismissing that anymore, especially since they're basically saying that on the surface while not saying the Great Reset. You know, whatever narrative they're using to argue why this or that needs to happen, we can see the tenets of the Great Reset Agenda, and all of them are being it's, uh, uh, driven towards right now with everything we can see. Now, one of those is the energy problem, the food crisis, the, the manufactured crises we're seeing and blaming them on whoever they can point at. But what's, what's crazy about this is that the main, the main part is about destroying your life, your livelihood, your security, your stability to justify really why everybody would just take whatever's given to them to stop the suffering. That's how sanctions work. That's what we see around the world. So now when your energy bill is $10,000 a month that you can't possibly pay, well, you'll take whatever they put in front of you. Oh, you're going to give me central bank digital currencies? Okay, fine. Take this bill off my head, right? That's kind of what I think they're hoping for. But the point is to realize that this is being engineered. You don't have to buy it entirely. I certainly believe this is from top to bottom. I think the evidence makes that clear, but you have to at the very least realize they're using these things, which they know are hurting people to drive an agenda. Even if you want to pretend they believe that's for a greater good, what gives them the right to decide to hurt people in this moment for something else in the future? Nothing. Here's young Americans for Liberty. They get ready to laugh out loud. This is a really bad one. And I, they're all bad. She is terrible at this job. This is one of the worst I've seen. I mean, I mean, she must go home. She must walk out of there and be kicking herself for how stupid she looks when she has no clue what to say, reiterates the same non-answers over and over and flips pages and just looks bad. But here's what it says. What makes you think that oil companies are going to listen to administration that is trying to put them out of business? Valid question. Now, again, this is where it comes down to. I mean, you, you can be good at this job by selectively deceiving people, which is what their job is 
while still not being blatantly dishonest. Now, the way, what I mean by that is, instead of going, he's not trying to put him out of business, that's not even happening. Be like, well, putting out of business is a strong way to frame that. Here's why he's trying to accomplish this, by driving them in a better, more productive direction with more green and damp. You know what I'm saying? And, and that may translate to a shift in what they're doing. Like, you see my point? There's a political way to frame it while still essentially not answering the question. But that's just can't even think past the book in front of her. And the problem is, her answer is, how is he trying to do that? Oh, you mean these every single thing he says right now? I'll make I'll prove it to you next. But this is just how does anybody believe that these people care about honesty and truth when every single thing they say in her case is a bumbling lie that's easy to prove? Kills me. Watch it for yourself. So you're asking oil. <laughs> I, love, I love this face, too. Like, oh, here we go. Another question? Jeez. Thank you, Kareem. So you're asking oil companies to further lower gas prices. What makes you think that they are going to listen to an administration that is ultimately trying to put them out of business? How, how is the administration trying to put them out of business? Well, they produce fossil fuels, and this president says he wants to end fossil fuel. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Oh, you're right. I'm mistaken. Let's continue. (laughs) This is like the dumbest thing ever. But watch the way this response goes. So look, um, I you kind of asked me this question yesterday, and here's here's where uh, where we would say U.S. oil production uh, is up and on track to reach a record high next year. We've seen that from their uh, uh, from when we see their profit margins. They are uh, they you know it's record high. And so, in fact, the United States has produced more oil in President Biden's first year than under Trump's administration's first year. But at the same time, oil companies are raking in record profits. Uh, it's, it's record. In case you didn't catch that already, it's record profits because that has everything to do with the question, right? While more than 9,000 approved drilling permits remain untapped by the oil industry, okay. there is no shortage of opportunity or incentive uh, for oil companies to ramp up production. This is something that they can actually do. It- okay, so we're on a different topic now, right? We, we're just, she just went to the next bullet point, and she has no idea. The, the question is, why are they going to listen to him if he wants to end their business? Which is very clear that he's stated that repeatedly because of the, great, because of the sustainable development goals, the ending of fossil fuels. Just because there's opportunities for them elsewhere or because they've had record profits, that has nothing to do with the question. This is her not knowing what to say because she's bad at this job. And she, she reverts very quickly to what are we supposed to say? Oh, record profits and this and that and blah, 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 and repeats the same thing at least twice. Is available to them. They can do this. And also, they are getting the operations first year, but at the same time, oil companies are raking in record profits uh, while more than 9,000 approved drilling permits remain untapped by the oil industry. Okay, what's funny about that is, isn't she essentially saying that so, so the Biden administration's not doing what it said it was going to do? See, so she's essentially throwing the administration under the bus to make sure that she can argue. I guess something that's not even related to the question. <laughs> that's pretty stupid. I mean, what's funny about this is that the, what she's essentially arguing there is that that's what they need to remove. That's what they're all seeing. Look at record profits. That's not right. We're for us to go green. We want to remove that from happening, which is what Biden is saying. I don't, I, I kind of think she's lost the thread here, which is, I mean, kind of what always happens. There is no shortage of opportunity or incentive uh, for all companies to ramp up production. This is something that they can actually do. It is available to them. They can do this. And also, they are getting the profits. And so because... 
as opposed to what exactly? Giving them away? I guess you missed that. They're one. getting. I just showed sixty cents uh, at, on the chart. Uh, more profit, right? That they, that we're seeing higher, more higher costs. That more higher costs. That's a good sell horn. Seeing that what then uh, what uh, retailers are paying at the pump, they can bring that down. They've done it before. You right. saw that at the chart in the beginning. They were able to bring uh, prices down. And one more. Okay. Okay. Then why would they listen to him if he's trying to shut them down? <laughs> Back to the question that you literally didn't do anything even remotely close to answering. Like, how ridiculous is that? So they are able to make record profits. I, right? I mean, I, I just, I can't, it's self-explanatory. How embarrassing that is. But here is the clip, just in case you wanted to see it. A quick overlap with what she does say there, but showing Biden saying exactly what she acts befuddled about what who's doing that biden is message to american energy companies is this you should not be using your profits to buy back stock or for dividends not now not while a war is raging you should be using these record-breaking profits to increase production and refining so you're asking oil companies to further lower gas prices what makes you think that they are going to listen to an administration that is ultimately trying to put them out of business? How, how is the administration trying to put them out of business? Didn't you get the memo? I guarantee we're going to end fossil fuel and I am not going to cooperate. You might want to hold off. Republican leadership in Congress has made it clear. They will crash the economy next year by threatening the full faith and credit of the United States for the first time in our history, putting the United States in default unless unless we yield to their demand to cut Social Security and Medicare. So you got you got that. So just to skip to the next point here. So the Republicans are going to collapse the economy, apparently as opposed to what's happening now, right? Like we're not, so they're just pointing at some abstract point by saying that's not politically what we agree with. Therefore, they're going to describe, like, how do you not look at what's, how do you look at what's happening right now and argue that they're going to, by some policy that doesn't, I mean, it's every single thing that they are saying is completely disconnected from reality. I'm not even talking just about the left in this topic. It's just frustrating how politicized everything is and everyone plays team politics. Right now, the economy is destroyed. Everything is being destroyed in every possible way. And they argue it's all Putin's fault, but then argue it's good because we want to transition to something else, right? And that's not collapsing the economy, but we're going to pretend that some action in regard to Social Security is going to be the thing that does. I mean, it's just willfully ridiculous. But end of the day, back to her point and what he's talking about is that they are actively saying that they are going to do that, that they're going to remove these things and then acting like they're not doing that right now in, and in other conversations saying that when we do do that, it's going to destroy jobs. It's going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to be for freedom and for the great benefit of the future and blah, blah, blah. So they're doing this to you right now. They're hurting your lifestyle. They're hurting what you want. They don't care what you ask for or what you vote for. And then just saying it's somebody else's fault. And then when confronted about it, they just play stupid, which is not too tough for some of these people. But here is the problem and how this overlaps into where it's all going. That's what's driving these choices that they're trying to hide from you right now. This is the Epoch, Epic Times. 19 states 
to investigate banks for ESG style commitment to UN alliance. Like just like we just saw in the Australia discussion. There's 19 states that are investigating the banks for having agreements with the UN to either fund or not fund only the people that align with what they've decided is the right way to go. Now, you could argue they're private companies, but that's not the truth, especially not with the banking industry. But either way, this is a nefarious overlap of global entities that are influencing the direction of of domestic issues. That's exactly what we're talking about. And then you have to realize that the ESG argument is an illusion in of itself, especially when they argue they can use nuclear weapons and gas and oil because they use them as means to fight for freedom. It's just a manipulation. It says a total of 19 state attorney generals have launched investigations of major financial institutions' commitments to the UN-convened Net Zero Banking Alliance, which is good. I mean, I want to hope this is is a genuine thing. The alliance's website states that its members control roughly 40% of the world's banking assets and are committed to aligning their lending and investment portfolios with net zero emissions by 2050. Now, what this is, is the beginnings of how the ESG digital ID, social credit overlap will be used to influence even your actions, right? Because what they're talking about here is the banking assets, only 40% at the moment, but aligning what they will lend and invest in only with what aligns with the sustainable development goals and the net zero agenda, right? So that means they're only going to be working with like groups. So there's entire entities out there just because they have political differences that won't be funded by not just small banking institutions in certain areas, but massive global institutions that can effectively stop them from be- existing. I don't know why we think this makes sense or is allowable. I mean, this, I mean I, I'd want to speak to, like, speak to a lawyer about whether this is criminal almost. The Net Zero Banking Alliance is a massive worldwide agreement by major banking institutions overseen by the UN to starve companies engaged in fossil fuel-related activities, you know, while the UK is still using them because freedom, right, of credit on national international markets. So only they're not allowed to use them, apparently, while they fly their jets and everything else. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt said in a statement regarding the investigations. Now, look, you, just because people believe that the Net Zero thing may be the right way to go, some people do crazily enough believe that, This is the same as deciding anything else that you think is the right way to go, right? Like take Roe versus Wade, for example, or any other very clearly politically divided divided issue and simply arguing, well, we're only going to lend money to those that allow people to have abortions or not. It's the same kind of thing because they've decided it's that important that we're going to dictate the, the, you know, unrelated topics to it. Money is a huge point of this. Lending is a huge point about this. This is meant to drive all of us in a very clear direction that we didn't vote for, that many of us, most of us don't want. That's what this looks like. This is technocracy. We are leading a coalition investigating banks for ceding authority to the UN, which will only result in the killing of American companies that don't subscribe to the whole woke climate agenda. These banks are accountable to American laws. We don't let international bodies set the standards for our businesses. Now, see, there's the point about the legalities where it's potentially committing something quite serious by allowing the U.N. to dictate their practices. It says Arizona, Arkansas, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas and Virginia are among the states currently investigating the banks through a powerful tool known as the civil investigative demand. Describe your involvement in each global climate initiative in which you participate, they ask, including the date you began first participating. Any promises, pledges, or other commitments you made to the Global Climate Initiative, 
or any actions you made or took pursuant to or consistent with such commitments or your initial or ongoing participation and the employees responsible for managing your relationship with each global climate initiative. I argue most of them won't comply, will ignore it entirely, or lie about their responses. Because this, it's very difficult to prove these agreements if it's secretive. But it says, Will Hyde, Executive Director of Consumers Research, praised the investigations. Quote, states are holding big banks accountable for obvious violations and for peddling high, highly questionable climate initiatives, at the very least, that very high-level experts disagree with entirely, under the label of ESG, all part of a coordinated effort to handicap American energy at the expense of U.S. consumers. On the other side of the coin, environmental groups have criticized the U.N.'s alliance, guess what, for accommodating financial institutions that they believe haven't gone far enough in divesting from coal, oil, and natural gas. So at the U.N. side, they're going, we need to go further. We need to attack them even more. I mean, it's such an obvious divide in the global mindset. And this may be what Whitney talks about in regard to the kind of the neo old school neocon mindset and the new technocratic divide where there's a lot of alliances and agreements, but it's core points about like sovereignty versus the global idea that they disagree. We have to remember that they see, they're not always on the same page when even they might be in the larger point, but here's how this is translating to the average person in many different ways. In most countries around the world right now, Canadian home energy costs to spike by up to 100% on average. Now, this is not even to talk about the many businesses that have thousands of dollars higher than usual, which is just crazy, unreasonably high. And it's by design, choices that they have made. Now, whether you think it's by design that they wanted this to happen or simply by the fact that they made these choices and that's why this is happening, both are true, I think. But this is happening not because of some action Putin took or because of some degradation of infrastructure. It's because they chose to make this the reality now. The actions they took. Here's Bill Gates telling you, admitting what we're talking about, that, well, you know, is a problem, but, you know, in the long run, it's a good thing. They just can't stop from admitting their game when they come, you know, say, well, you know, it's a good thing because this will lead to that. So why wouldn't we ask that this is something they allowed to happen or created? And it doesn't need to ask that question. It's so patently obvious that's what is happening based on things they've said, what they're currently doing, and what they're aiming at. Here's what Gates is saying. If you do. Well, BlackRock and Larry in particular are a great example of private sector leadership. You know, anyone who says that climate shouldn't be a factor in how you evaluate the future of a company, you know, isn't, uh, that's not capitalism because companies that have emissions, you know, they are going to be subject to uh, border adjustment tariffs or taxes. Uh, you also have to think about companies, you know, if you're dealing with uh, severe weather events, that's got to be factored in. Is the company ensuring that? Are they becoming more resilient? So the attacks are kind of illogical because climate does affect the economy, which does affect investments. The idea that we still need oil and natural gas is also, you know, fairly clear. We're not going to drain all the money away from those sectors. That's how people get to work today. It's how people avoid freezing to death in the winter. Uh, and you know, people did get a little optimistic about how quickly the transition could be done. Now, without uh, the Russian natural gas being available in Europe, uh, you know, we're, it's a setback. You know, we need to find non-Russian hydrocarbon sources to substitute for those. So there's coal plants running and a uh, variety of things uh, because, you know, keeping 
you know, people warm, uh, keeping those economies in decent shape uh, is a priority. Now, on the other hand, it's good for the long run because uh, people won't want to be dependent on Russian natural gas. Uh, so they'll move to these new approaches more rapidly. And you talk about companies protecting themselves. What do you think about the Fed stress testing banks for climate? The bottom line here, guys, is that this is where they're going, right? We can't miss how obvious this is. This is better in the long run, right? Because it will push businesses into new types of energy, making them even richer as well. Bernie's tweets raised it. I agree. But we, they're simply trying to justify the idea that your suffering right now is just a means to an end. So just tough it out. Take it on the chin for freedom, right? And Wyatt Reed is pointing out, also covering other things outside of Ukraine, hundreds of thousands are rejecting the inflation crisis created by a French regime that's now imposing its budget on them without a vote. You know, because democracy, right? Police are responding with incredible violence, but their president kneels before the U.S. and NATO, so mainstream media won't discuss it. And as Saeed points out, if it's in Iran or any other anti-imperialist state, by now they would have weaponized these protests for regime change. But since it's in their own France, it's just another day of experiencing the taste of Western civilization. Look at that. Democracy. Why? Because the unarmed guy was where he wasn't supposed to be? They just keep beating him with a stick? With their militarized police force? Welcome to the new normal, guys. These are your democracies, right? Spreading freedom. Well, guess what's also happening in your democracy in Canada? Exactly what many of us saw coming. This is not a joke, by the way. I'll just let you I'll just let you listen to it. This is going to surprise some people. I mean, not that it, we didn't see it coming, but the fact that it's happening right now. Our government introduced measures to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. Today, our national freeze on handguns is coming into force. From today forward, it is no longer legal to buy, sell or transfer a handgun in Canada. Wow. Think about that. Sorry, I keep doing that. I'm trying to get these other videos up. Think about how crazy that is. So they effectively took the guns away, right? Which is always historically what has happened before something big happens. Handguns. Just like we told you this would translate to before. No, it's just the big who needs AR-15. Okay, I disagree with that, but fine, you can make the argument. But now we're down to handguns. You can't buy or sell a handgun. Now, this is not the same if you already own it. I argue which is the, what they're going to go to next. There's something different there, but the point is now you can't sell it or buy it or transfer it. So they're officially pausing these. And this is how this is the slow. This is the boiling frog. Because if they come out today and just say you can't own a gun anymore, people would lose their minds. And so in the chat, he points out the 3D printers. But they already have laws against things like this, especially. In, but the point is, at the end of the day, this is a step in the direction of stopping you from having it's, it's from a U.S. perspective, what, that is your constitutional right. And even if you disagree with that, fine, disagree with it. But then the argument you would make for us in reverse is, well, then vote, right? Go out and change that. But until you do, you have to abide by it.
It's funny how it doesn't work when it says in reverse, right? Because everybody's hypocrites in the two-party paradigm. Well, taking this into the food side of the crises, it's sad how some of these people out there, I don't think it's the majority, but many of the, the vocal ones are being manipulated by this because that's what the woke crowd is spreading. Right, so the clown world shares this. I mean, I'm actually blown away. This is what this person is saying. He's saying farming, not organic farming or this kind of farming. Farming needs to stop because that's the biggest driver of climate change. Farming needs to stop. That's the single biggest driver of climate change. Farming. Now, I can't even express how ridiculously ignorant this is of the reality of the world. That if we just stopped farming, everybody would die. I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of people would die because some people would grow their own food. Some people would be prepared to do that. But the government's not going to pick up that slack. They're not. Bill Gates is going to grow all the meat for everybody. They sure as hell would want you to think that. But just like we saw with India and Africa and their failed GMO experiment before the current GMO experiment, they made them more food scarce, probably by design, that led us right to where we are today. But this kid smugly sits there and tells you, oh, yeah, farming. Farming's got to go. Well, guess what? When we point and tell you they're trying to remove farming and organic farms, they call you a conspiracy theorist. Then explain why this guy thinks that that's what needs to happen. Exactly like we said, we didn't claim Iraq was involved with 9-11, except 99% of Americans thought it did. That's how this works. Plausible deniability. They're going to go, we never told them that farming was the only thing, that we need to end farming. <laughs> but then suddenly these kids are going farming needs to end because that's what they are saying and that's what they are doing. Here is Russia speaking up, interestingly, in contrast to that. Now, as always, I, I, I caution this may just be the statement that, that playing the role of the good guy because it's so wildly advantageous to them to do so in contrast to the villainy that we're seeing on the other side right now, just openly doing the terrible things to people under the guise of freedom. So whether they mean this, believe it, or care, it's smart for them to say it. But regardless, this is what they're saying from Russia. I'll read it to you. It's in subtitles. Well, I'll just, it says up here, I'll just read this. We are ready to support supply both food, both food and fertilizer, and everything that is necessary to ensure food security in the world. Use U.S. preventing us from doing this by blocking financial settlements as much as possible. Russian Foreign Minister, Ministry, Spokeswoman, Zakharova. Says we are very much being hindered from doing this, and accordingly they are striking a blow at this very world, the very world food security of the U.S. Think of how interesting that is. So she's simply saying, oh, you can argue they're lying, or there's more of the story. The point is she's standing up and going, like, we are ready, and you've seen this by places that are working with them, to provide what people need, whether it's energy, food, fertilizer, whatever. There's an interesting uh, clip I just saw of a border where you can see the Russian energy for countries that are working with them that's all lit up, and the other side completely dark. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, these people are suffering because of the woke agenda right now, stopping them from using energy they need from Russia's side of the border. But what's interesting is that this is true to a degree. I don't know if they want or care about this, but they do have the, the supplies that they are being stopped by the claim that this is, I don't know what, we need to isolate Russia. So this is translating to hurting the average person. That's not even a translation over to the idea of, of the Great Reset. This is just blat right in the beginning, acting like we want to hurt Russia or doing so, and this translating to hurting you. Now here's a farmer speaking up about what's going on. 
telling you that this is, as he says, governments are taking away the power from the farmer to produce food. Exactly like that kid says we need to do. Well, you've seen my video that you're going to need the farmer three times a day. And I'm going to tell you something else. Look at what's happening globally. It's scary. Governments are taking away the power from the farmer to produce food. It's happening in the Netherlands. It's happened in Sri Lanka. It's happening in New Zealand. It's happening over in Canada. All these people are rebelling and protesting for a reason. It's because government is taking away that power from the farmer to produce food to feed you. Now, Henry Kissinger said, you control the food and you'll control the people. Think about it. My thoughts for today. He's right. He's absolutely right. Now, on, on the edge of this conversation, which is very concerning, which I pointed out before in regard to the meat, the mRNA meat point, this is happening all around the world. So we need to start asking whether this is, in fact, the main part of this in the mRNA experiment. Pork supply chains investing $6.5 million in a novel vaccine platform for the animals. Gen X Technologies, a startup dedicated to bringing advances in self-amplifying mRNA vaccine. Why? Okay, here's what's crazy. is That's, in fact, what the Pfizer documentation first called their injection. That's quietly got removed. But what that ultimately means is exactly what we are seeing happen, that it continues to produce the spike protein, if I understand it correctly. So that does seem to be what this is, because that is what's happening. So why is that what they then use here? Why do we want that to continue to produce whatever we're talking about? That's the problem that's happening today. But they're going to use self-amplifying mRNA vaccine production for animal, animal health, they say. This funding, move, the, the, this funding moves the company toward USDA and international regulatory approval of its vaccine. The company's proprietary, pr- proprietary SARNA platform, same thing, allows for rapid development of herd or flock-specific vaccines. Let's, this, is exa- this is a unanimous direction change. And while we're watching this, at the very least, be proven to not be fleshed out. There's real risks about how this changes DNA, how this changes everything, and they're rapidly pushing this out to everywhere around the world. I mean, this is not a joke to concern yourself, to ask yourself whether this could literally mean the end of the human species if this goes awry. But who cares, right? Cover up and profit. That's all they care about. Now, here's the UN food director warning you. Interestingly enough, kind of sounds like he's saying that what they're doing with increasing prices is part of what is causing the future of what this is going to be man problem reaction solution what he's calling hell on earth food shortages next year or you could argue that he's predicted programming telling you what's going to happen because that seems to be the plan you can decide for yourself facing a food pricing problem in 2022 that's creating havoc around the world well if we don't get on top of this thing quickly and i don't mean next year i mean this year you will have a food availability problem in 2023, and that's going to be hell on We're looking at an $11 billion shortfall of food production inside Africa alone. Now, I could go to Central America, South America, same issues on droughts. India, devastated by heat and, and, and drought, and it could go on and on. We were able to avert famine in the last couple of years as I went to the leaders of the world said if you don't respond you will have catastrophe on catastrophe 
is particularly in the height of COVID. And the leaders did respond. We averted that. But then Ukraine comes on, shutting down the breadbasket of the world that produces enough food to feed 400 million people. Right. Always blaming it on them, right? But except the same, at the same time, telling you that that's what we want to happen because we're going to transition to a new system, right? Same time. Here is another situation where, and just the predictive programming, I think is the biggest point there. Grant Teller telling you, depopulation used to be a conspiracy theory. Now it's in your face. Well, here, listen to two group people at the World Economic Forum, you know, laughing, laughing jovially about the idea that we need to reduce the population. Not a joke. I mean, these groups are against me because I'm talking about population. They want more souls. I want less on the planet. <laughs> the World Economic Forum has become the public domain of the anti-human cult's depopulation agenda. And all of pop culture is on board, from Hollywood to the Holy See. Now, the rest of it's kind of, you know, their own opinion around it. But just think about how crazy that is, to laugh about the idea. Now, you can argue that they think that's for your best interest. But it's incredible that we can't acknowledge that they openly want that in many different ways. So when you come on Twitter and talk about it, you're a conspiracy theorist and you can literally show them saying that needs to happen. It's exactly like the food shortages and the energy shortages. They're making this happen because that's by design. They want this because it derives the direction. Now, on an interesting overlap, I want to include this. And by the way, I'm realizing this is definitely going to be one of the longer shows. I mean, I don't have that much more to go, but we're going to go over four hours, I believe. Matt Walsh points this out. And this is not something that's hidden. This is a very clear overlap that people should research. The interesting overlap of eugenics, population control, and Planned Parenthood, and how that overlaps with what we're seeing today. Very important conversation. But as he says, reminder that in 1969, Planned Parenthood produced a memo recommending strategies for population control. These include, quote, restructuring the family, encouragement of increased homosexuality, tax-funded abortion, and sterilization. They then went on and implemented all of these. Well, you could disagree with that statement. I think it's obviously true based on what we're seeing play out. But he says the eugenics, the eugenicists told us exactly what they were going to do and why they were going to do it. That's exactly what's happening now, by the way. Same groupings, Galton Institute, which is once the eugenics, it's the same groupings. He says it's called the Joff, Joffe Joff Memo, compiled by Planned Parenthood, Vice President Frederick Joffe Joff. Look it up. It's, it's, it's true. It's real. I mean, it's, it's incredibly obvious. Now, just the overlap of the idea of depopulation and whether or not there's an agenda to do exactly that or at least reduce these things, just asking questions. Now, on that note, that overlap, I, I had to include this because I just had it in front of me and it, it overlapped with this exact point in regard to restructuring the family and increased homosexuality and the things that they list themselves in regard to specifically reducing the population. Something we just have to include because it bothers me. As here's Sarah Gonzalez pointing out that she intended another all-ages drag brunch in Plano, Texas over the weekend. And the footage I have is shocking. And this is not even the most shocking. I'm not going to show the rest of it. This, the, the song playing in the background, I'll just let you listen to it, is a sexualized song as this trans person flips up and shows the genitalia. Or rather, the you know, underwear. But shows, And these are children sitting here with parents yucking it up about how this is gross and inappropriate and wrong no matter what you talk about. No matter, I mean, would it be okay if it was a man doing this? Everybody would lose their minds. The problem here is that this is being pushed politically. Not necessarily these people making personal choices in their own lives need to be criticized for it. 
But the fact that you force this in front of people or act like this is supposed to be accepted when you are over-sexualizing children in obvious ways is wrong. No question. Here's what the, This is what was happening at this supposed drag queen story time. And every time I point this out, this is the problem because it's, they act like it's not, we're not sexualizing this. Yes, this song is sexualized. The fact that you're flashing your underwear is sexualized. And these are children. Oh, and to clarify, yes, good point. This is a man. My point is simply if it was a man dressed like a man dancing as a male stripper, somehow that changes everything for the people sitting in this room, which bothers me. It's, it's ridiculous, right? Because that's exactly the point. But watch this, and it just makes me sick. Holding up money. Money? Like, why is that acceptable? That's a strip. That, that's strip. You're giving the money to dance sexually. And they, here's the problem is they know that too. They just don't care. And here's the problem, guys. That young kid has no idea what's going on. And it's being normalized, right? The idea that this is acceptable. Not necessarily, I'm not talking about the idea of trans versus not. That I, I've always respected people's personal choices in their own lives. I don't care. I'll call you whatever you want as long as you don't force it on people. But the fact that this is in front of a child, is, I mean, this is no different than taking them to a strip club. Just because you argue it's a trans person does not make a difference that you are sexualizing things in front of the child. And I can go off on this forever. That wasn't the point. The point is to show you that this is being forced politically on people in ways that, is not, that, is not, that are not okay. And that is part of an agenda, no matter what you think about it, because of what we can see historically and how it's being played today on a fraction of the population being applied to a huge portion of the political discussion. Now, again, just in case you missed it, this is what the song is saying. Why is that okay for children? Now, this wasn't a story time thing, but it was a all ages drag brunch. All ages. Something very wrong about this. Now, in regard to the bioeconomy point, I wanted to make one quick point before we finish this off with the digital ID. We just here's this, one of the articles or shows we did about this exact topic, biomanufacturing, the American bioeconomy. Well, here is an interesting point that I wanted to share an overlap with a lot of these, a few different topics. In fact, that we covered Texas is sending public school students home with DNA kits designed to help their parents identify their children in case of an emergency. Well, there you go. So now we're talking about the shootings in the schools also leading them in the same direction. Well, DNA grabs, just like the COVID-19 test, just like the 23andMe, just like everything in the bio direction. They're now telling you they are monetizing. We're going to use your biomaterial for the benefit of the bioeconomy. So now you're justifying and heck, how scary and, and, and unnecessary that is. So you're literally telling people we need to get you need to DNA from your children and give it to us. So in case they die and we can't identify them, that's pretty gruesome that we'll be able to know who they are. I mean, you're abusing fear. And I mean, there's so many points to make here that just make me upset. The real idea, though, is that this is about there's no reason that DNA needs to be a part of this process, period. You could take fingerprints. You could take a thousand other things, hair sample. The point is this is about collecting DNA because that's what's important to these people right now. And they're using school shootings to justify it. 
And she says, I'm a teacher in Texas. I can confirm that they got that I got the message today in my administration. It's literally the least thing, the thing that they can do. Say she agrees with this, apparently. This is gross. Anyway, finishing off. Again, the whole direction goes in the way of collecting your information, whether digital, the bioeconomy, the biosecurity state, all of this ties together, the vaccine passport, the overlap. Here's James Melville pointing out that Sri Lanka now requires, I believe I've shown you this one, digital ID fuel pass with a QR code to ration their weekly amount of fuel. So they're creating a fuel crisis and then using that crisis to drive you into the digital ID that you need to get your allotment of fuel. This started to sound scary and familiar that we've been warning people about. Yet again, a crisis that leads to the outcome of digital ID. You can see it. Watch them play this out. You can watch them waiting in their queues with their gas cans. It's crazy. You know, here's Bernie's tweets. July 2021, Steve Baker MP confirms the government's plans all the way back then for digital ID, social credit, and programmable central bank digital currencies. It isn't a theory, but it's a conspiracy against citizens' freedoms, anonymity, and privacy. I wholeheartedly agree. We're now looking at digital IDs. We're looking at a social credit system being trialed to get people to deal with obesity. A central bank digital currencies will obesity i mean this that's just that's just irrelevant or just that we think you shouldn't be overweight except at the same moment the same woke crowd is telling you that being overweight is okay and not actually dangerous exactly the point they don't even know their own narrative anymore enable the state to enormously intervene in our lives and you know reasonably you can sit back and say wow what is going on with the change in the relationship between the individual and the state. And uh, I can see why some people are quite frightened. I have to say, I mean, neither you nor I are conspiracy theorists at all. Um, uh, but I have to say that they, they, the government... <laughs> I just love that. Still trying to dance that line, Julie, huh? <laughs> they, they don't care that you differentiate yourself from people like us. That's the funny part about it. They're still trying to walk that line between the corporate media and the, you know, if, if you have to come, people have to come to realize that if you barely step outside their narrative they'll look at you just like they look at us and the reality is we're wildly objective about the topics as much as i give my opinion often and and all the time as much as i can it's just kind of funny to me that we're not conspiracy theorists but funny but here is von der leyen telling you that this is what's coming it's not a secret i'll read this to you it's subtitles Every time an app or website asks us to create a new digital identity. Oops, sorry. I was trying to lower the volume. Or to easily log on via a big platform. We have no idea what happens to our data in reality. What's funny about it is moments ago they were telling you it's all okay. These companies are doing what they're supposed to. And now they're contradicting that by saying, no, Facebook and Twitter are stealing your information. Let's trust it to a new thing. As always, they'll burn the thing down they're currently using to justify the new the new manipulation. That is why the commission will propose a secure European e-identity. One that will that we trust and that any citizen can use anywhere in Europe to do anything. See, problem, reaction, solution. From paying your taxes to renting a bicycle. A technology we can control ourselves, what data and how it is used. Now, even if that's true, by the way, which I highly doubt, the point is still a choke point through which you can be turned off. If that's where you access everything, 
They don't need to control the data anymore. They can shut you off because you don't do what you're supposed to in any other setting. But again, I argue it's ridiculous to pretend they're not going to use your data like they have in literally every other situation they promised they wouldn't. Over and over and over. Now, here's Bernie's tweets pointing out the Bank of International Settlements owned by all central banks speaks for central bank digital currencies to work in the way they plan. A full range of totalitarianism tools, including digital IDs, must be implemented. It's coming quickly now. Here's the Bank for International Settlements. It says, introducing the central bank digital currency is not a universal solution. It has to come in a package with digital and financial literacy and identity, among other things. We'll look at that. What a shock. Exactly what we all knew. It's a package deal, guys. Social credit, digital identity, central bank digital currencies, carbon tax. It's all coming your way. Don't worry. Here is Seek for Truth pointing out, governments and private sectors can use these to program smart contracts to target policies. It's about control. All of it. This is how it will be used. Bo, just a quick question. When you look out at, at what's happening so far in this sphere, mm -hmm. uh, do you see any ways in which you know, the transaction data is so helpful are being used now or, or could be used or should be put into a plan? Just any specific example. Well, I can give you one example in China because I personally experienced it, right? Those transaction data can be utilized by service providers in credit underwriting in the sense that, you know, those transaction data in terms of how many coffee I drink every day, where I buy coffee, do I use uh, Uber every day, and what kind of working hours I have. Those non-traditional data can be very useful for financial service providers okay. to give me a credit score. And based on a credit score, the financial service provider give me a credit line without any face-to-face -face due diligence. That's a big saving because traditionally, you know, banks, they need to do due diligence. Oh, good. So we can alleviate the banks from doing research on our lives. That's great. Right. That, so that's what that comes down to. So they don't even have to research us anymore. They can just look at our social credit score. How great. Save the bank's money because that's what we all care about. Right. <laughs> so uh, I, I think uh, what we just heard from Bo about uh, credit scoring uh, uh, is a very good example, I think, of um, that different countries has to uh, take different journeys to uh, a, a new kind of world where they serve their society in the best possible way in the, in the digital space. Uh, other countries might kind of find this uh, uh, not the way to go forward. So we all have different preferences. And, and this uh, preference on, on privacy or anonymity is, um, is tricky. Uh, a lot of people I meet, and I've spoken about this for years now, says that they don't want to have their payments uh, um, kind of distributed among commerce. But they're very happy to have a lot of CCTV cameras because they find it's worth to give up a little bit of privacy to get security, etc. So I think uh, bottom line is every country has to, to, to look into this from their own particular perspective. What what is the current state? Where do they want to move it? Uh, and it differs very much if you were working in an emerging economy versus um, um, an advanced economy and depending also how financially included people actually are. So, Well, right on the surface. You know the saying, right? 
Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Here we are. They're literally arguing, well, you know, it's give up, give up your, your, what's the exact word she used there? Hold on. Close the, close the window. She used privacy. It says both worth it to sacrifice a little privacy for security. Same point. That's liberty, privacy for security. All right. Benjamin Franklin would argue you deserve neither of them because you're too stupid. If you're stupid enough to give up one for the other, then you deserve neither. And here we are where they're literally arguing that's the, that's the change off the compromise that we all need to make. Classic. Now, Japan is pushing for biometric my number digital ID to include health insurance cards, driver's licenses, and more by 2025. It's all happening. All the things that we were told we were crazy to think would happen are literally happening right in front of us. Tech firms have listed, and this is an interesting overlap with the My uh, the ArriveCan app. Tech firm listed as having received ArriveCan contract, never worked on the app. <laughs> there is so much going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. There is massive criminal cover-ups and collusion happening everywhere. And this is just, I think, just a, a squeak through the door, a crack through the door of light showing you something weird going on. This is yesterday, simply saying a Canadian tech CEO says he has no idea why his company was listed as receiving $1.2 million dollars of the ArriveCan contract, and is calling on the Canada Border Services Agency to issue a correction. So that either means it was a typo, which I don't think it was since there's more than one, or they're putting them down and that money's not going to them. Quote, we have received no money from the CBSA. The revelation surfaced just hours before the House of Commons Committee on Government Operations and the estimates began hearing Thursday into the cost to build and maintain the ArriveCan app that Canadians don't want which the Globe first reported is on pace to reach $54 million this year. $54 million to manage this app. That's an app that's supposed to be there because the injection stops transmission? No. Even those that went in and said, here's my proof of injection, here's my proof of test, they said, we don't care, I need the app. That's because it was always about the digital ID. The point is they know it doesn't stop transmission. The app under the guise that it's about proving you have the injection is an illusion. It's meaningless. But they're, they're continuing forward anyway under their authoritarian control. Now, it's going to blow your mind how much it started and how much they've spent. Not because they don't do this all the time, but just because of how blatant this is. Mr. McLean wrote to the CBSA on Wednesday asking for an explanation as to how his company ended up on the list. As of Thursday evening, he didn't receive a response. Late Thursday, a spokesman for Ernest & Young, ranked 17th on the list, told The Globe that the government's reference to their company receiving $120,000 in the app appears to be an error. Where is all this money going? These companies are like, we don't, have, we don't work with them. We don't even have an involvement with this app. But here's our name, apparently where we got money from the government to work on it. This is straight up criminal activity, in my opinion, guys. That's what I think. This is money going somewhere else that they probably didn't think we would find out. EY, or maybe just money going to them under the guise that they're building this for you. EY was not involved in the ArriveCan app, they said. The CBSA provided new information to the Globe earlier this week showing that the app began as an $80,000 expense. It's now grown to $54 million. That's how government works. All for your benefit, though, right, guys? ArriveCan was initially created as a way for travelers to upload mandatory health information related to COVID-19, right? Which is meaningless now since it doesn't stop transmission and it never has, right? It has since been expanded because that doesn't make sense anymore to allow users to answer customs, immigration questions, 
Yeah, because that makes sense now, right? $54 million so you can respond to immigration questions. The app is no longer mandatory as of September 30th, but it continues as a voluntary option. So Canadian taxpayers are okay spending $54 million a year so you could have a non a voluntary app that people don't use? That's not what this is. This is a pause on what the next thing will be. This is your digital ID. This is your stored information. This is just a, me- a middle ground between COVID and whatever happens next. $54 million justified as an $80,000 expense. Mr. Weber said border guards are extremely short-staffed and $54 million could have paid for hundreds of need uh, new hires or anything else. How about feeding the families that can't feed themselves? But no, it's all about the app that we don't need. My God. Finally, my car, not finally, finally, one more point after this, but in the first, this last segment, my carbon, an approach for inclusive and sustainable cities. September 14th. Personal carbon allowance programs have had limited success due to a lack of awareness and failure mechanism for tracking emissions. Right, so we didn't track you enough. Yet there have been major developments in recent years that could help release my carbon initiatives. You know what those developments are? Technological developments that allow them to track everything you do all the time down to exact carbon tracking. But it says as countries move towards implementing their pledges for the net zero future that we don't all agree on, urban areas will remain the action grounds for decades to come. These innovations from China are improving resiliency and sustainability. Five ways to speed up the creation of smart cities. Those are just other articles. But it says COVID-19 was the test of social responsibility. Oh, did you know that? Apparently we're being tested. There were numerous examples globally of maintaining social distancing, wearing masks, mass vaccination, and acceptance of contact tracing applications for public health. They say all of that, which demonstrated the core individual social responsibility. Oh, it did, did it? You mean the, the mass that didn't hurt, help or actually hurt people? The mass vaccinations that are currently killing everybody? Or the lockdowns that, in fact, d- dramatically hurt the problem? I mean, everything did hurt everybody. But as long as you went along with it, you're a good person, right? That's all this was. Whether they were testing because organic things happened or this was a massive social experiment. Who ultimately knows? But they're telling you, we watched and we know who did the right thing, right? Fourth Industrial Revolution technology breakthroughs. My point exactly. Now they can track you using AI. And digitization can enable tracking personal carbon emissions. They're telling you right there. All for your benefit, of course. The World Economic Forum's Scale 360 initiative demonstrates the use of the fourth industrial revolution technologies across the whole life cycles of production and services. Don't forget, Klaus Schwab's been telling you for years that during the fourth industrial revolution, what they're telling you is right now is when you'll have implantables put in your brain, when everything will change and genetic editing will change who you are. All of this has been stated. Now they're not saying it, though. That's kind of telling, isn't it? They're getting really quiet about what they were telling you was going to happen during the time that we're currently in. That's interesting. What's next? Sustainable, sustainable cities enabled through smart communities. That's what all this is about. Smart cities, smart meters, tracking, artificial intelligence. I don't know why anybody thinks this adds up to freedom or a better life. At the very least, it adds up to a better control for the powerful, which then almost never translates to a better life for the average person. Just look through history, guys. Increased costs for carbon-intensive activities. Right. So they're going to increase. They're going to penalize you for doing things just like the banks were with loans that they don't agree with. I mean, this is just so blatantly obvious. And then to finish, kind of an overlap with the other point, but I wanted to include this just because I think this is absolutely crazy because it does make an interesting point about the direction they're going. So the point this year, they're pushing you in this direction, especially the Canadian government, of this woke mindset. 
right? That the world we're building is about equitable, uh, equitable future, sustainability and non-racism and everybody having the fair stay and blah, 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 right? It's all about not being racist and everybody living in harmony, right? That's what they're pushing from every possible angle, that even the climate change or vaccines all about equity, right? That they didn't get it fast enough and they got it more and they're more racist and they don't like black people. They don't like brown people. And we need to change all of that. We all know that, right? That's what they're claiming matters. So here is a video that just went viral. It's the first part of it. As he writes, and I agree, the most racist video about white people and it's socially okay. And that's the main point here is this video as, as well as many other videos or even documentaries or TV shows about how white people suck or whatever are totally acceptable. Except that's literally racism, right? It is. Just so we're clear, racism is judging somebody solely by the color of their skin. Doesn't matter what new definitions they make up or the idea that because historically it's been slanted one direction, therefore you can't be racist if you're on the other side. It's just ridiculous. It's all made up. The truth is that you're racist if you judge someone based on the skin color. That's the reality. So ask yourself how they're building an equitable future when all the people involved with that are actively being racist against white people. Right? Think about how stupid that is. But let's watch this video. Because what he does is he overlaps it with other ethnicities just so we can feel how crazy this really is. Where are white people superior at? <laughs> and to be clear, this first part is a real video and is circulating all over the place and Twitter's totally okay with that. <laughs> what exactly are white people superior at? Smelling funky. Letting their egos control their every move. Privilege. Yes. Making bland food. Playing the victim. Congratulating themselves over shit that they're incompetent at <laughs> or that should have already been done. They're superior at being dicks. Okay, before we go to the next part, it's obvious point here, guys. So literally every white person on the planet is the, are those things. They stink and they're stupid and they don't know, right? I mean, this is as bad as it's ever been in reverse. I, should, I mean, I, don't, I, should, I, not, I shouldn't say it like that in the context of like the terrible things that have happened throughout history under the name, in, in the name of, you know, in in a racist manner. That's not what I meant. My point is the idea of the vitriol, right? The idea that they're, they're just openly and willfully allowed to say these people are gross and stink and look bad, whatever else. I mean, that, that is, per, that's blatant. Is that every white person everywhere? How's that even possible? Does that apply to Jewish people that are white? Uh-oh, we made this point the other day, right? No, 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 no. Uh-oh, don't talk about that. The, the point here is that this is racist. And it's totally acceptable. And yet they want you to believe they're building an equitable, non-racist future with these people actively being... I mean, it's, it's not about that. It's not, I don't think they mean anything they're saying from the government perspective. But this is being allowed. Now here is what he added with the other lens and, and using the same statements in regard to other ethnicities. And that will be censored. What are Native American people superior at? Corn mazes. What? what are Hispanic people superior at? Smelling funky. Insecurity. Pretending. Fear. Being fearful of nothing. Being ignorant. Blame. Letting their egos control their every move. Privilege. Playing the victim. Congratulating themselves over shit that they're incompetent at <laughs> or that should have already been done. You get the point. And then they go to Asian people. 
They're just creatively thinking of new ways of like always staying one step ahead of other people. What are black people superior at? They're real good at violence. Violence is like stealing people's lives just because they feel like it. Taking what's not there. Taking shit. Taking our ideas. Copycat. Smelling funky. And we have to realize this has been allowed at some level has been acceptably allowable for people to continue to do this. Now, you know, you could argue this is sort of like an organic flip-flopping of the, I just, I just don't buy that. I think it's very obvious that politicians have leaned into this and are using this for their own benefit and for a larger agenda. Any lying, stealing, and cheating. Manipulation. Withholding information. Lying. Telling lies. They are very good at destruction of land. Are we talking about the government? I'm not sure. It's just, it's just frustrating, you know, because me pointing this out, that, may, that, that gets me called racist. How that's even possible, I don't even know, other than this broken Orwellian world that we're currently living in. But here is CNN. This is from November 21st, 2021. There's nothing more frightening in America today than an angry white man. That's totally okay. But don't forget, they're building an equitable future just for you, right? And just before we finish... This is what it said first. There's nothing more frightening today than an angry white man. Of course, they, they quietly added in, in America, because they, they was a little too harsh, I guess. Because <laughs> that's what journalists do. They update and alter their articles and don't tell you about it. Because, you know, journalism, right? But thank you. Four hours, ten minutes, longer than I expected. I ended up kind of just taking my time as we went halfway through there. But thank you for being here today, guys. More coming, as always. I've got interviews coming your way. More information coming out. But as I said the other day as well, it's an important time that if you have the ability to support The Last American Vagabond, because we have a lot more stuff coming your way. A lot of plans that I'm going to go forward with regardless, because this is important to me. But the more you can reach out and support this platform, the more you can make sure that this show continues, that Moving Target continues, that Derek's writing continues, that Taylor Hudak's interviews continue, and everybody in The Last American Vagabond, the work continues, because that's what that amounts to. Now, at, at the very least, share the content. Take the time to share this out, Get the information, make clips, right? I know that like T-Lab Shorts out there is making clips that I appreciate of his own accord, you know? And I think that just the more you can do it, the better. The more we can get the information out, the better. As you know, I will not stop doing this, even if it ends up being where I have to reduce the amount of time I work on it. So I don't foresee that happening. I'm just saying in, in the event that everything shifts, I'll keep doing this one way or another. I'd like to keep doing this like I am now, full-time, as much as possible. Four to five a week if I can make it happen along with other interviews and other articles and so on. But we are going to continue to push back because that's what we're here for. Thank you for supporting us and believing in us because we believe in you. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. What if the experts are wrong? What if quarantining the healthy doesn't actually save lives? What if wearing a mask in public is not effective? If you do not have a mask, you cannot ride public transportation, sir. My name is Dr. Jeff Barkey, and I'm here representing thousands of physicians across the country whose voices are being silenced because we don't agree with the mainstream media and the experts who are telling us what to do. Everything I've seen in the last nine days, all the things that just don't make sense, the patients I'm seeing in front of me, the lungs I'm trying to improve, have led me to believe that COVID-19 is not this disease and that we are operating under a medical paradigm that is untrue.
Never in the history of this great republic have we quarantined the healthy. Never in the history of this great republic have we told churchgoers that it's illegal for you to exercise your First Amendment right of freedom of religion. Never in the history of this country have we been told that you can't go to church because it's not essential, but you can go get an abortion because that's essential. Never before in our country have we let criminals out of jail, but we've told you you can't exercise your Second Amendment right and protect yourself by purchasing a firearm. When liquor stores are deemed essential, but your businesses are deemed non-essential, there's something wrong going on. We cut off people's utilities this week and made them pay what could have been their last check to us to turn their lights on in a global health pandemic. But you don't care about that. You didn't want to meet. This booklet, the Declaration of Independence and our U.S. Constitution, was never designed to restrain the people. It was designed to restrain the government. We're realizing that the fatality rate of this virus is in the ballpark of a bad seasonal influenza. Do not let your voices be silenced. We will see eventually that this government-imposed cure is going to be worse than the virus itself. But what's happening now is unemployment reaches 20 to 30 million people is those folks are now becoming dependent on the government. And what government dependency causes is a larger, more tyrannical government. We the people want to put our government back in its place. We want a small representative government, not a large tyrannical government. I'm here representing thousands of physicians around the country whose voices must be heard. We've never seen where we quarantine the healthy, where you take those without disease and without symptoms and lock them in your home. So you guys are asking me to leave the store for not wearing a mask when I have a medical condition, even though yours is pulled under your nose. A note that says I don't have to bring a note, and yours isn't even on. You just do whatever you want to do. It's America, right? Listen, I cannot wear a mask. Get out! Do not let your voices be silenced.